Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We don't have to put our Stanley Cup uh, opening the uh, lineup on the ice right now, uh, playoff lineup, so we have time. But we're, we're a group that plays to the cap. We're a group that will try and exploit any avenue that we can. And if there's a player out there uh, today at 3 o'clock that we think helps us, or if it takes two months and it's uh, March 15th that helps us, we're, we're going to be on top of that. But I'm excited to be part of an ownership group that doesn't uh, – it's not looking this as money, cap space they don't want to spend. They, they want us to spend it wisely, but they're always trying to win. That was Doug Armstrong on Friday on the Fast Lane. If you missed any of that, 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app. It is all brought to you by I Promise. That's where you can find the full conversation. I am thrilled to be back with you. It's been too long. Happy to be alongside my guy, Alex Ferrario. Luke Clevenger working the board today. Ferrario, how you doing, man? I am fantastic, BK. It's great to see you back. I see you got that nice Florida suntan on. Uh, I don't out, think on so. the, out on the beach, I'm assuming. No, 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 beach. No, no, pretty no, much. No, I forgot. You're right, Colorado. Yep, Colorado is uh, a little bit chilly this time of the year. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, however, oh. I do. I did come home with a new car. That was fantastic. <laughs> so everything's coming up, BK, in the year 2020. All right. In a pandemic, BK gets uh, two promotions. <laughs> And a car. One promotion. This is incredible. One promotion, not two, one promotion. just one. All one. right. Same thing. Ferrario, here's what we got to talk about. Because Pierre Lebrun over the weekend connected Mike Hoffman to the Blues once again. He said, quote, the Hoffman camp led by his agent made a decision even ahead of the market freeze to be patient after missing out of the first wave of free agency. He figured that whatever was on the table in late October could still be there come late December, early January, and perhaps some other situations arise that weren't even there in October. He continued, I believe he's going to be proven correct on that. Take the St. Louis Blues as an example. I think the Blues have shown some interest in Hoffman, and now with the Alex Steen news, perhaps there could be a fit there. The idea that whatever it is in St. Louis or another club being able to use LTIR to create space, Hoffman could be a decent fit that way, end quote. Again, that coming from Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic. We've talked about Mike Hoffman, Ferrario, I think for six months at this point, maybe longer than that, even <laughs> dating back to him being a trade candidate for the Blues. It makes all the sense in the world. I have one bit of hesitancy for it, though. And my hesitancy comes from the fact that we've talked so much 
about Jordan Cairo finally getting his opportunity to really show you what he can do as a top six forward. Now, is that enough to stop me if I'm Doug Armstrong from signing a guy like Mike Hoffman who immediately comes in and makes you better? I think my answer would be no, but given how much we have talked about Cairo and the significant importance of him, not only for 2021, but for the future of this team, I do wonder if that's kind of going into the calculus for them of do we make this move now or do we wait till closer towards the trade deadline and then make a move then to improve the top six? What would you make of this? Uh, You know, it it makes a lot of sense. And Pierre Lebrun's not the only one, BK, that's making this connection. Uh, Matt Larkin of the Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, has made the exact same connection uh, that the Blues and Mike Hoffman seem to be a match made in heaven. Look, I was on the same mindset that you were last week with Jordan Cairo. Like, why why sign a Mike Hoffman when you have this Jordan Cairo that you hope can be a top six winger, that you want to turn into this? But here's where I got corrected by Chris Kerber, by Joe Vitale. And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Doug Armstrong is not a live on the if or hope kind of guy. He said that this is a five-year Stanley Cup window for the Blues two years ago which means you have three years to get this window open, BK. And if you are hoping Jordan Cairo turns into this top six winger, okay, that's great. But you can't win a Stanley Cup on hope. And if Mike Hoffman is sitting out there, a guy who has scored 29, 30, 32 goals in his career on bad teams, albeit like the Florida Panthers and the Ottawa Senators, if he's sitting out there for you and is willing to come to your team for two and a half, three million dollars which in other sense you would never get you take that shot and you figure out what Jordan Cairo is down the road there's going to be injuries that pop up there's going to be opportunities that pop up for Jordan to move up but here's the other thing you have control over him BK so Jordan Cairo is still your property in the next couple of years to find out if Mike Hoffman's there and if he wants to do it I say sign him and Jordan Cairo guess what you're going to be a depth guy you're going to be very influential to our team but we need Mike Hoffman to make a push for a Stanley Cup. I So here's the thing. I'm comparing what we're talking about right now with the Blues to what we have talked so much about with the Cardinals. And I think I'm on board with this signing. Because if I'm going to be critical of the Cardinals for going down the if, maybe, potentially train then I've also got to give a lot of credit for the Blues for doing the opposite, right? The Blues are in a win-now mode. They believe that they are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender next year. Otherwise, if you didn't, why are you going out and signing Tory Krug, right? Why are you right. losing Petrangelo and then bringing in somebody else for $6.5 million per season? There would be no reason to do so. There would be no reason to sign a guy like Kyle Clifford to fill what is an important role But for a losing team, not so important role. This, the Blues have operated from day one of the offseason as if they are a team that still believes that they are going to contend. And if they make a move like this, it's not just a team that plans to contend like the Cardinals for a divisional trophy. They (laughs) plan to contend to hoist the Stanley Cup. Mm. I also have to give a ton of credit from this respect to the ownership group. This is a time when owners can prove to fans that they are all in on winning, all in on winning. I think what we're seeing from Tom Stillman during this period, he couldn't be more all in on winning for you, the fan, because there's there is nothing requiring him to now spend up to the cap. He's already at the cap in terms of what they were going to spend cash wise, right? 
they are already te- technically over the cap by like $12 million because you've got Alex Steen at five and a half, and you also have Vladimir Tarasenko counting for $7.5 million, neither of which right now is actually against the cap. Eventually, Tarasenko will. Obviously, Steen will not now. So that means you get an extra $5.5 million to spend this year. If he does that in a pandemic year when they have no idea if or when the fans are going to be able to be in the stands and we know that the Blues need that to be part of their revenues for them to feel good about where they are financially, if he's willing to then spend not only to the cap but exceeding it by five and a half million, there is a ton of credit that needs to go to this ownership group because you, the fans, are now being – you've been promised something by them, and now he's making good on it in a year when very few owners are actually going to make good on a promise like that. Huge credit to stop Tom Stillman if he's willing to do this in this time. I couldn't agree more with you, BK. You know, sit here and imagine if you were a billionaire, which is always a fun thing to imagine if you could be a billionaire. But if you are and you're running a business and you find out, hey, I just saved $5.5 million for this upcoming season. You know what, Doug? Let's hold on to that because I want to make sure with no fans in the stands, we got a little wiggle room. No, Tom's not saying that. Tom bought the St. Louis Blues because he loves the St. Louis Blues, because he is a local owner, and he said from day one that he is going to win a Stanley Cup. He's not going to he's not going to work under the restrictions of being a smaller market in the Midwest in the NHL. He's not going to work under the restrictions of not spending to the salary cap. No, he's going all in every single year, and he has done that. They have moved things around, but they have always spent to that salary cap. And frankly, BK, this is why fans buy into the Blues. This is why fans are so upset that the Blues are playing on the West Coast and having late games. Because they love this team from what Tom Stillman has done. They will spend money to buy beer, to buy hot dogs, to pay for parking, to go to these games because Tom Stillman has put that commitment out there for the team. And Look at other teams in the NHL, BK. I mean, Minnesota starting a, a cycle right now. They've traded away or, or released some of their top players that fans loved. Why? Because it's a pandemic and they can't afford it. So, yes, all the credit in the world goes to Tom Stillman. And I mean, frankly, this is a guy who's standing at the doors on, on opening night in a regular season, shaking hands with fans as they walk through. He's standing by the gates during the postseason. He's cheering in the stands like an owner uh, does. But um, credit to he and this ownership group because they have always spent to the salary cap, which is why I think this excess of money is going to go towards a, another player. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show at any point. You can also get involved via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app from the 636BK. They're not actually $12 million over the cap. Fair. They are technically going <laughs> to be under the cap, right? That's You have to be. That's, that's the restriction of the NHL. But what I mean by that, and I should have clarified here, Basically, at the start of the season, they very well may end up being $6 million over cash-wise compared to where the cap is, right? They will be spending that money towards Alex Steen, even though it does not apply to the salary cap. And then eventually, you fully expect that you're going to get Vladimir Tarasenko back. He'll fit in under that number. But if they end up doing this with Mike Hoffman, they're almost certainly going to be that five, five and a half million dollars cash-wise spending over what the salary cap is. And I I haven't looked into the numbers. Maybe I should, but I would imagine there are very few teams that are going to be willing to do that in this season. 
Oh, without question. I mean, look, again, Minnesota has, has released players because of this. Arizona has said that they're going to try and spend as little as possible on players to this. And people need to remember, it's not just the salary cap by what Tom Stillman is paying. They are paying Alexander Steen his salary. Like, just because he's retired, he's making that $5.5 million this season. He's just not going towards the salary cap for the Blues. So Tom Stillman is going to be paying over the salary cap of what they usually would because Tarasenko, still, or Steen, these guys are still getting paid their money. And if I'm not mistaken, Jay Bomeister still got paid all of his money as well because he didn't play this past season. There are two different things, and I know it's kind of confusing, but there are two different things when it comes to the salaries. There's cash and there is cap. Cap is an accounting system, right? It's <laughs> what are the losses versus the gains? It's ba- If you work for a big company and you're an accountant, you deal with all of that stuff in a way that I will never be able to understand. The cash is just the cold hard. What are we paying people this year, right? What, right. Are, what are our expenses towards the payroll? And the Blues, when it comes to their cash this year, are going to spend more technically than what the allotted cap number is because of some of these different accounting principles that they're able to use. So full credit should and will go to Tom Stillman for what he's willing to do here if they decide to go this route. Do you think they ultimately sign Mike Hoffman? Do you think that's the move that they make or do you think it is somebody else out there? No, if there's if they're going to make a move before training camp starts, BK, it is Mike Hoffman. I, I, you know, there's Andreas Athanasiu who's out there. He doesn't make the fit for the Blues. Uh, Mikel Granlund doesn't make the fit. You need a right winger. You need a power play guy. You need offense. And Mike Hoffman is the guy. The only way that Mike Hoffman doesn't sign with the Blues is if somebody is willing to pay him more than $4 million. If he's willing to come down to around three, three and a half, which is out of the ordinary for Mike Hoffman. I mean, in a normal season... This would be a five or six million dollar guy, BK. But if he's willing to come down to three, three and a half million dollars, he's going to be signing with the Blues because I, I do know from the reports that Doug Armstrong and Mike Hoffman's agent have already talked. So, yeah, I think this gets done before training camp, and it's Mike Hoffman or bust in my eyes. It's pretty remarkable. This is a guy that has 170 total goals over the last six seasons. 60 of those are on the power play. I mean, if you. If you were looking out there and saying, okay, who is the perfect player for what the Blues need right now to be able to just kind of put them over the top, especially while Vladimir Tarasenko is out? I mean, you would literally write up the guy next to the picture next to their description of what they need would be Mike Hoffman. And for him to basically fall into their laps, it's kind of an unbelievable thing. You just start thinking about what this team could be when Vladimir Tarasenko gets back. Hoffman might be a third-line winger for this Blues team. Think about that. Like that's ins- just, He's a 30-goal scorer. That's insane. You just read my mind because I know you're nerding out on those hockey lines. We did it last week together. It, when Tarasenko comes back, you legitimately will have probably the deepest offense in your division. Colorado's going to be up there with you, but think about that. Tarasenko, Schwartz, and Chen would be your top line. Your second line, of course, Sanford, O'Reilly, Perron. Your third line could be Mike Hoffman, Robert Thomas, and insert left winger however you please. Sanford, like Blay, whoever yeah. your preference is. That's a – put Jordan Cairo on that line for – I mean, that's a speedy winger right there. I mean, that and is – And suddenly Sonny and Barbashev with maybe Bozak. Like, you you basically have three centers potentially on your fourth line. You got a fourth line that, that looks very similar to what you had when you won the Stanley Cup, insert Bozak over Steen. So I'm telling you, BK, if Mike Hoffman signs, if they get this right winger, which, look, Doug Armstrong, do not count him out of this, you will have 
you will change the Stanley Cup odds from seeing Colorado and Vegas having better odds than you than the Blues moving up to that because of Mike Hoffman and the addition. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 1001 ESPN. It's 11:13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at 11:30, we'll talk about all of this with our guy Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider. We'll ask him what he thinks about the possibility of the Blues signing Mike Hoffman right before the season begins. But coming up next, Tyler O'Neill was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. He said that he's very hopeful. He can get 500 at-bats this year. If he reaches his best-case scenario, what does that mean for the Cardinals? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll give you our answers. We want to hear from you as well. Coming up on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You know, that, that's a question to, be, question to be answered still. You know, I know my ability. I've proved it in the past in, in bits and pieces, and I think I can get, get really going if, if we get those consistent ABs. Um, but, you know, it's just sometimes the way things work out. You know, I haven't been able to get that full opportunity yet, but, you know, I'm just going to keep working, keep grinding to give myself those, those more opportunities, and hopefully, uh, hopefully they come and pay off. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I've got the utmost confidence in myself to do, to do damage. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Luke Clevenger working the board for us today admirably. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That voice you just heard was Tyler O'Neill earlier today on Carriker and Smallman saying all the right things. I got to be honest with you, Ferrario. We'll start with this, and then we'll get into what we think Tyler O'Neill could actually do if he does get what he hopes, 500 at-bats this upcoming season. I find Tyler O'Neill to be unbelievably likable. Like every time that I have ever heard him speak in any sort of an open press conference setting or one-on-one with an interview like he did earlier today, he's unbelievable, like uh, unbelievably likable. And I want him to be so much better than he has been. Like he, he just seems like such a great Cardinal, honestly, like it's a really nice guy, affable guy who works his butt off, obviously. You can see the results of what that looks like from his body. Like, the dude clearly works hard at this. And I think if he were to hit whatever is the peak of his performance, Cardinals fans would absolutely adore him. The problem, of course, over the last few seasons is just he hasn't been able to do that for a myriad of different reasons. He's cut down on the strikeouts. He has increased the walks. Those are all very positive signs. The problem is at the same time that he's cut down on strikeouts and increased the walks, he hasn't exactly increased the overall production level. Like he's actually gotten worse every season, despite those two key metrics going in the right direction. So it becomes a little bit difficult to evaluate him. But as you heard the interview today, Ferrario, uh, what'd you make of it? Do you find him as likable as I do? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I called him the Canadian Hulkster when he started to come up here because that's what this guy, I mean, this guy is a stud. Uh, Everything about what Tyler O'Neill does says screams Cardinal way, right? Like it screams what the Cardinals would want. Plus his, his features give you what the Cardinals want. What do fans want right now? They want power. They want home runs. They want speed. They want defense. Tyler O'Neill is all of those things. He just unfortunately has always run into poor circumstances in his three years playing at the major league level, going back to 2018 BK. It's been what? 60 games, maybe 150 at bats. And in 2018 and 2019, those were sporadic games. It wasn't 60 straight games. It was 
15 games here and then an injury pops up. It was 30 games here and then he'd be out sick or out with a injury. He's never really had the full flow of a season. So when you ask the question going into break, you know, 500 at-bats, if that's what he's looking at, what could we be seeing? I mean, people would be seeing exactly what they are wanting on the free agent market with Tyler O'Neill because that's what he has shown to do in the minors. That's what he has shown to do in terms of prospect ranking. He's just never been able to stay healthy. And, and frankly, for me, that's the one thing that you hold against him. For sure. And I think it's fair to do so. And so I kind of look at, okay, what it, what does it look like if and when he were to reach that peak, right? What What is the hope for Tyler O'Neill? Because we hear so much, like you just said, about what his performance could be, what we hope that it can be. And sometimes I think we lose sight of, okay, what, like tangibly, what do those numbers look like? What's a player comparison that we could actually make for that? And I think we've seen it, honestly. And we heard this player on the fast lane recently. I think the hope is that he basically becomes Randall Gritchick. I, I think that's what you're hoping for if you're a Cardinals fan. Because if you look one for one in terms of like, okay, strikeouts are a problem. Walk rate wasn't really there. When he made contact, it was hard contact. All of these are the same qualities that the Cardinals fell in love with, with Randall Gritchick. Now, I do think Tyler O'Neill has some, uh, like, a little bit higher potential than Gritchick did, but it, it's pretty similar. And if you look at what Gritchick's been since he was traded to the Blue Jays, in year one, he was a 245 hitter with 25 homers. Year two, 230 hitter with 30 homers. And then this last year, in a shortened season, of course, a 273 hitter with 12 homers. If that is what Tyler O'Neill becomes, basically a 240-ish hitter, gets on base at a 300 type of a clip and hits for power, he's going to hit 25 to 30 home runs. What does that mean for the Cardinals? Because while a good player and somebody that can definitely help you in your lineup, that's probably like a six or a seven hole hitter for a good team. And so that's why I sometimes get frustrated with these conversations is, okay, yes, even if Tyler O'Neill did hit that potential, it's still not enough. It's still not a guy that is the middle of the order bat that you've been looking so much for. It it helps you. It makes you have an answer in the outfield somewhere that can at least play probably two out of three games and you feel pretty good about it, especially with his plus defense out there. But it is not the middle of the order bat that you're looking for. You need something more than what I think Tyler O'Neill at this point is capable of bringing to you, even if he does become a Randall Gritchick-esque player. Like, I think if he becomes that BK, and you know, for me, I look at 2017 for Tyler O'Neill and say this is what he could be at the major league level, best case scenario. The two years are that year in the minors between Seattle's minor league team and St. Louis's minor league team. He was a 246 batting average guy. He hit 31, or no, yeah, he hit uh, 31 home runs, almost 100 RBIs. That's what he is. But in my eyes, if Tyler O'Neill becomes that at the major league level, then you're one bat away because Tyler O'Neill becomes that corner outfielder that can hit in the five, six, seven hole that we've talked about. Harrison Bader is the superb defender who can be a nine hole hitter like we saw at Tampa Bay. Dylan Carlson is the guy who is supposed to become that two-hole hitter. Now, supposed to is the hard part with that, but if he becomes that two-hole hitter, BK, then what are we missing? You're missing that four-hole hitter. You're missing that cleanup hitter. You're missing the Nolan Arenado trade. You're missing the Francisco Lindor signing at the shortstop position because one of those players, BK, does this for you. 
it gives you Edmund leadoff, Carlson in the two-hole, Goldschmidt at the three-hole, insert bat here in the four-hole, Paul DeYoung five, Tyler O'Neill six. I mean, that right there is a lineup that I would be comfortable saying can compete for a World Series. So if Tyler O'Neill becomes that, in my eyes, you're one bat away from being that contender that we always talk about. So there is one other issue, because you mentioned somebody batting leadoff. Only one? That, uh... That might not actually be batting leadoff next year. So earlier, don't, don't do it. Over the weekend, Mike Schilt was asked, "Hey, what do you think about Matt Carpenter as your leadoff hitter for oh 2021?" Here's what Mike Schilt had to say about that possibility. You know, that's that's the question to be question to be answered. Still, you know, I know my ability. I've proved it. That's in the Tyler O'Neill. If we can get the Mike Schilt audio talking about uh, no guarantee that Matt Carpenter is a leadoff hitter coming up in 2021. Generally speaking, with Carp. I've thought about leading him off again. You know, his skill set clearly has played there in the past. I do think we have some other options for that. You know, Colton led off a lot for us last year. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But um, it's I can't say it's a its uh, its a possibility. Um, a stronger one, I can't say, that, yeah, he's going to come in and lead off and, and we're going to go from there. But uh, it's definitely something we explore and think about. So I know there are a lot of Cardinals fans that hold on to this idea that, hey, just put Matt Carpenter in the leadoff spot. That's where he's going to have success. We're all past this now, right? Like the last time that Matt Carpenter got significant playing time batting leadoff was in 2019. That season, he hit 204 with a 660 OPS as a leadoff hitter. We can all move on and just admit it's not about where he bats. It's about whether or not he's productive when he goes to the plate. And him being the leadoff hitter doesn't immediately mean he's going to be old uh, previous 2017 for Matt Carpenter, right? We're, we're all on the same page there. No, BK, it's the week of Christmas, buddy. I'm going to be optimistic here. Matt Carpenter <laughs> will be back to the all-star form. He will be back to the 280 hitter oh, that he you was in his career uh-uh. on the leadoff. This is how you make Matt Carpenter productive. No. no, yeah, we're off of this train. Come on now. He, his best position is on the bench. So the reason why I bring this up, Ferrario, in connection to Tyler O'Neill is I think there might be two holes that the Cardinals have if they're even consider like if they're, if they're having meetings right now about whether or not to bat Matt Carpenter leadoff or if he's capable of still doing that, they actually have two issues in the lineup right now. Leadoff and cleanup. <laughs> Because if one of the answers to the questions is Matt Carpenter, when you're talking about the leadoff spot, well, then that is a huge question that needs to be answered with something that has a little bit more potential for you. That has a little bit more certainty there for you, for sure. I think it's still going to be Tommy Edmond. I would believe that that is the route that they will ultimately go. But even Edmond comes with some serious questions after what was a disappointing year two for him in the big league. So I think right now for me, and this is what 2021 is all about, right? Let's find the answers. So by 2022, when you really should be competing, we know who can and cannot fill these roles for you. My guess is Goldschmidt's going to be your three-hole hitter. You're going to see DeYoung back at cleanup, and you're going to see Tommy Edmond batting leadoff, and then probably Tyler O'Neill batting fifth early Mm -hmm. in the season. And that's fine. But we need to have answers firm, firm answers on those by the end of the season, because I don't want to go into 2022 wondering, can Tyler O'Neill be this guy again? Yeah. I don't want to go into 2022 wondering, is Paul DeYoung capable of being a cleanup hitter? No, let, let's find out once and for all this upcoming season. 
all of these answers, including on Tyler O'Neill. So that way, the following season, we know what this team is. There's more certainty and there are fewer questions surrounding these individual players. Yeah, if there's a, if there's a team slogan for the Cardinals in the 2021 season, BK, it's going to be the answers are answered. And I think that was a terrible slogan, by the way. But but I think that's <laughs> what this year are is. Answered. I the agree. Answers are answers. That's what it is. But I mean, that's what this is going to be. And, and you know, I, I will say this: if you're going to use Matt Carpenter, a- at least find out if the leadoff spot is a hoax or if it's a reality, and then go from there. But yeah, this needs to be the, okay, we know what all of these guys are. Now let's fill the actual holes for 2022. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, is it a coincidence that BK came to town and Carpenter's career went kaboom? I think not. I want to be very clear, sir. I came to town in the year where the second half, he was awesome. That was when I got to town the first time around. And then I left town last year, and then his career went kaboom. I'm actually the revival spirit for him. (laughs) So coming up here in about 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers. But coming up next, are the Blues really, realistically, in on Mike Hoffman? 30-goal score potentially added to the mix. We're going to ask our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford, when he joins us coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Good to be back with you guys. We'll be with you until 2 o'clock. Let's now go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our guy Jeremy Rutherford. He's a Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, first of all, congratulations on the scoop over the weekend. Happy to see you with that. Ryan O'Reilly named the next captain of the St. Louis Blues. What did you make of the news? And thanks for hopping on with us today. Yeah, first of all, uh, the scoop, that's like me walking to the plate and uh, breaking the news that I'm going to strike out. You kind of knew it was coming, right? <laughs> we did, but yeah. you, you were the one that reported it, and you deserve your congrats. Yeah. Take the scoop yeah. when you can get the scoop, JR. Yep, yep. So everybody knew that uh, it was coming. I mean, there was a little debate, but uh, probably uh, shouldn't have been because Ryan O'Reilly in his couple seasons with the Blues has just uh, been phenomenal, both on the ice, off the ice. Uh, we've heard the stories the past couple of days from the Chris Kerbers, the Joey Vitales, everybody who's spent time around uh, Ryan O'Reilly, and I can attest to, to that as well. Uh, I know Alex referenced this a couple of days ago, but I'll just elaborate as Ryan goes out to visit a young fan after every single home game, the Blues could get blitzed six to one. And 15 minutes after the game, Ryan's talking to a, a young player, a young uh, fan. And uh, I witnessed one of these occasions where the, the young kid just couldn't get the words out. Like he didn't know what to say to Ryan O'Reilly. And Ryan calmed him down and talked to him and, and sat there for another 10 minutes. Uh, I once wrote a story about Ryan O'Reilly. You know, he just loves music. He loves playing the guitar. He loves bands. And I asked uh, his wife, Dana, for the story. I said, does Ryan, is he kind of like those young kids who meet him after the game when he meets a band? And she said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He can't get his words out either. So uh, we did find one place where Ryan O'Reilly might not be completely comfortable. But just a great choice by the Blues. Uh, It sounds like they'll make it official at some point soon. Uh, But everybody saw this day coming, and, and it's here. 
You know, JR, we talked with Craig Berube yesterday who talked about not just Ryan O'Reilly, but the leadership group in a whole with this team. And that's been intriguing for me because it's a it's a transition this year when it comes to leadership because you've gotten rid of the vocal guys, the Alex Petrangelo's, the Alexander Steens, the Jake Allen's, the Pat Maroons. And I wouldn't say that they're silent leaders, but they are very uh, do as I say or do as I do on the ice, like a Braden Shannon, a Jaden Schwartz. Uh, how do you think that the transition's going to be with Ryan O'Reilly as the captain and then these other guys wearing the A's uh, with a new kind of leadership core in the in the locker room? Yeah, Alex, I'm trying to think back. I've been covering the Blues since the 2005 season, and I don't recall an offseason where there's going to be this much transition in that leadership department. I know years ago you lost uh, David Backus, and that was significant, losing your captain. Uh, but this year you just mentioned the names, you know, Petrangelo, Steen, Jake Allen, and I know Jay Bowmeister's been gone since last spring, uh, and they played in the playoffs without him, but this is the first time you're starting a season without Jay Bowmeister. And so I do mm-hmm. believe that the Blues have some players in place, like O'Reilly, we touched on him. Braden Shen, I think that uh, he could have been an assistant or even in the conversation for captain You know, for the past couple of years. Uh, you know, I think uh, Jaden Schwartz can help in that area, Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, so I think that they have people who can step in and fill those roles. But until they get out there and do it and, and feel out the process of what it's going to take uh, to move on without an Alex Petrangelo and who they're going to listen to, you know, it remains to be seen. So I think they're in a good spot, uh, but it's got to play out here. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, on Friday, I heard the guys talking with Doug Armstrong, and he mentioned that the plan is to use all of the new, newly available cap space from Alex Steen's long-term IR. First of all, I mean, I, I think I want to ask you about the, the, the ownership group and Tom Stillman being willing to do that, because I'm not sure that would be the case in other markets. How much credit does he deserve for that? Well, you know, when I, before I give you this answer, you know, I got to say that, uh, you know, I talked to Tom a lot. He's been nothing but uh, great to me. And uh, we have a good relationship in terms of uh, my coverage with the Blues and, and him being understanding of the job I have to do. So a little bit bias, uh, I'll admit, because he, he's been really good over the years. But, but I want to say this. When Tom Stillman's ownership group took over, I don't think anybody in St. Louis felt that this was a team that was going to spend to the cap every year. I mean, this is a team that offered, I want to say, $110 million for the Blues uh, to the to the ownership group previous. And, you know, everybody saw that as a low-ball offer. And I think a lot of people walked away thinking, well, if he does get the team, that probably won't be a group that's going to spend a lot of money. Well, I think uh, we can look at it now and realize that was a good business sense by uh, Tom Stillman. He knew what uh, he could get the Blues for. Uh, they, they built that amazing group. And so year after year after year, you know, it's gotten to the point now where we don't even question whether the Blues are going to spend to the cap because we know they are. And as you guys were touching on a couple of segments ago, uh, there is insurance involved in these contracts. And sure, they're going to get some money back on some guys who don't play a full season. Uh, but you're right. They're going to spend more in actual dollars then the salary cap and we're talking about during a pandemic so nothing but uh you know congratulations to this ownership for what they've been able to accomplish and i do think the people of st louis realize it so now that we have that in order now we got to talk about how they use that money jr and the name that is out there of course is the same name that i think blues fans have been clamoring for at this point for like 18 months it's mike hoffman once again of out there now on the open market 
Do you think he's a fit here in St. Louis? And if so, how do the Blues get that done under what is still a hard cap? Mike who? I haven't heard this name uh, recently. <laughs> Mike Hoff- Hoffman? Hoffman. Mike Hoffman. He's a football player, JR. <laughs> there is a legitimate opportunity. And now I say that, and could Mike Hoffman sign with somebody else this afternoon? Could they announce that he's signing with the Blues tomorrow? Uh, you know, we just don't know. I think there's a legitimate opportunity. But without going to math class, uh, because I'm just as poor at it as, as you guys are, you know, I think we have to understand that uh, Alexander Steen, sure, $5.75 million is his salary cap. But right now, if you know he's going to stay on long-term injury reserve uh, now that he's in retirement, uh, the Blues have about $4.2 million in cap space. You still have Vince Dunn to sign. Say you sign him to about two point five, It leaves you with about $1.7 million. That's when Tarasenko comes back. So you're going to have a little bit of wiggle room when you put Tarasenko in long-term but you can't really spend that money because when he comes back, it's got to come off the books. So the Blues are in a situation where, like Alex was saying earlier, is Mike Hoffman a possibility at $3.54 million? Yes, he is, but Doug Armstrong would still have to move some things around and shuffle the deck a little bit to bring that in. All that said, I do think uh, that it's a possibility. I know they're interested. I know there have been talks, but from what I've heard, uh, there's as many as double-digit teams interested in Mike Hoffman. The one thing I'll add that I think really uh, does put the Blues in a good spot is Mike Hoffman has waited to sign. He knew, he and his agent knew that there was a situation where teams would have to go into long-term injury uh, like the Blues. They would have more money to spend, and Mike Hoffman waited for this time to come. So I think that's a good sign for the Blues. And secondly, if you're going to go to a team on a one-year deal and try to reestablish your value, and that's not because he played poor, it's because of the pandemic situation. You want to pick a good team, you can go in and produce. That could be the Blues, and he could become, again, a 5 or $6 million player in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, and you got the Taylor Hall example to run off of as well with what he did with the Buffalo Sabres, although he signed a big contract in terms of money, but you still look at what he did to kind of reestablish that market. JR, my final question for you, man. I've been asked a lot about this of, you know, why go spend before training camp when you can wait until the trade deadline and and make a move for a player that better uh, suits your roster. Uh, The way I look at this one, though, JR, is if I'm Doug Armstrong, I would rather spend money and not give up assets that are draft picks or players Because once you get to that trade deadline in April, teams will know that you're desperate for something and they'll hold you to a king's ransom. And with an expansion draft coming up and with that uh, prospect pool being so bare, I don't think Doug Armstrong is going to be wanting to give up any draft picks rather than just spending money. Yeah, and we don't have you know time uh, to go into all the cap ramifications going into long-term injury now as opposed to the start of the season. It actually benefits the Blues to do it at the start of the season. They can spend more money once they get into the season. But I would say this, you know, if you're Doug Armstrong and you're saying, do I sign a Mike Hoffman now or, or do I wait till the to the trade deadline to add somebody? Keep in mind, you're going to be without Vladimir Tarasenko for potentially uh, the first month or or two yeah. of the season, and who knows when he's going to be ready? That reevaluation is coming in February, and, and is he going to be close to 100%? So I think you're going to need some scoring uh, initially out of the gate, and then secondly, you know, I'm like a lot of people. Let's see what Jordan Cairo has to offer. But Doug Armstrong, I've watched this uh, movie a lot of times. Yes, he has faith in some of these young players, uh, but at the same time, he knows that he can't go into a season and put himself into a situation where he's second-guessing himself for not adding at the start of the season. I think if the opportunity with Hoffman's there, he'll do what he can to do it. Uh, But obviously the price has to be right.
Final question for you, JR. If they end up going down this path and they find a number that makes sense for both sides, if it ends up being more than what the Blues currently have available in cap space, if you, if you had to do some reckless speculation for a moment, what are the kinds of things that they could do to make some money become available? Reckless speculation? That'd be a good name for a show, right? <laughs> I think that is literally what this show is called. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's tough because uh, everybody was talking about, uh, you know, the excess uh, salary that they had on the, on the uh, roster. You know, was it Steen? Well, now that situation's taken care of. Bozak, I, I think uh, they like what Tyler Bozak uh, does and I don't know that you find a suitor with him two weeks before the season starts. Is it Vince Dunn? Do you do you not sign him? Do you move him or or what have you? You know I know that they like Prenovich and they like Nikola and they like what they've got on that left side coming up, but those guys just aren't ready yet. I don't know that you can part with Vince Dunn. So so that's what I'm saying. The Hoffman thing makes sense. Uh, but the money situation, you're still going to have to make some moves, and uh, that's about as much reckless speculation as I can give you. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his work over on The Athletic. He is the one that broke the news over the weekend about Ryan O'Reilly officially becoming, or soon to officially become, the captain for your St. Louis Blues. JR, all the best to you and the family, man. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll talk with you again soon. You guys, too. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That's Jimmy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. He mentioned Tyler Bozak there at the end uh, for our own. I know we've talked, I mean, dating back to the end of the regular season and even before then, we knew that was going to be a guy that was bandied about in the off seasons as a potential buyout candidate, maybe a trade candidate to be able to get some money back on the books for the Blues. Without Alex Steen next year, though, I think he fills a pretty important role for them, not only on the ice, which is obvious. He certainly has a significant role for them on the ice, but also off of it as the veteran leader that can be in that club that keeps things kind of even keeled. You need guys like that in that locker room and without Steen, without um, so many of the guys now that they've had over the years. I mean, Petrangelo now on the way out, Bo Meester out from last year. I think you probably need to keep him around. So I don't think that's going to be the guy that they ultimately move on on from now. Yeah, look, real quick, BK. I mean, yes, he makes, what, five, five and a half million dollars for the upcoming season, but it's a one-year contract. He's done after this season. But you do need that veteran experience because without Steen, he is a vocal leader. This guy spent, what, eight seasons in Toronto. You, you get a lot of leadership from playing in that market. Um, but also don't discount the offense Tyler Bozak brings. I mean, people don't see a lot because he's on a third line, but he did score, what, 13 goals in his last two seasons with the Blues, so 26 overall. This is a guy who can provide offense, and he can play on the top line if you needed to, the second line, the third line, the fourth line. So I think Tyler Bozak is going to be uh, very pivotal for an upcoming season that is shortened uh, for the St. Louis Blues. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Luke Clevenger working the board for us today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to some of your questions and answers coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Before we get to some of the questions from the text line, a little bit of a news story coming out from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. 
Uh, the title of the story is that the Blues and the city are working on a phased approach to return to hockey operations at Enterprise. Uh, basically, the main kind of tagline for the story it appears that the season will begin for the nhl in st louis with no fans in the stands they're hopeful that at some point they will have a phased approach where they can get up to 25 percent capacity and we'll see from there but according to this story and the spokesperson for uh, mayor lida Krusen, the plan right now would be for the start of the season to be with no fans in the stands it makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, you're seeing some markets that are saying they're going to have fans like Dallas, Arizona, Florida. They're all talking about having at least 5,000 there. Um, but at least they're talking about it, BK. And I think that's the important thing to take away from this. Like the the St. Louis County or the St. Louis City, I should say, has not shut it down completely. So the hope is that some fans can be back at some point this season. But uh, at least it's trending in the right direction with some markets being able to bring fans into the stands. Yeah, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. Let's get to this one from the 314. Hey, guys, wanted to get your thoughts on the Illini hiring Brett Bielema. What do you think about him as the next head coach for my fighting Illini? Ferrario, what would you make of the move? You know, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, BK. I mentioned it yesterday. I love the idea. I, I think there are high expectations for Brett in terms of coming over and you know his last stint in college football with Arkansas didn't go that great but look we talked about it the week that Lovey Smith was let go the hope in finding a head coach is that somebody who can come in and recruit the hell out of the Big Ten in this local area and Brett Bielma has done that in the Big Ten before um, winning what coach of the year three times in the Big Ten with Wisconsin so Frankly, I love the move. It's not my army guy that we talked about, which I was uh, pining for. Yep. But uh, hey, this is second best in my opinion. And I think it's going to create a lot of interest when it comes to the local collegiate market in football. Illini fans, I need to ask you a question. And 65780 <laughs> uh -oh. is the Air Comfort Service text line. What is the goal for Illinois football? I ask this in all seriousness, because as a Mizzou fan myself, I have... My, my goal for the team is a minimum six and six every year. That, that's got to be the floor. And then most years you're getting to seven and five. Every three years or so, you can get to eight wins. And then maybe once every five, six years, you get to nine, 10. Maybe you have a once in a decade, 10, 11 wins, and you're able to go win the division and have potentially a special season that year. That's kind of my like 10, every 10 years, you got to have one really special season floor should be around six wins in most years kind of the average season seven to eight wins that's what my hope is for mizzou if your hope for illinois is something similar i don't like the hire i think brett bielema is a really good coach if the goal is to get to at a maximum eight wins if your goal is to do something more than that, I don't think you can do it with him as your coach in that division. And I think that's a really important part of this is you are about to play in a division with a bunch of teams that play the same way Brett Bielema does. He's a guy that wants to play man ball. And what I mean by that is big hog mollies up front. You're going to have five <laughs> massive dudes on the offensive line, a tight end that blocks his butt off, a couple of receivers. You're going to line up in the I formation, and we're going to run it down their throat, right? Does that work against Northwestern and Iowa and Wisconsin when you're in the same division as all of them? I don't think you're going to be doing it better than Northwestern, Iowa, or Wisconsin who try to do the same thing. 
So for me, I wasn't a huge fan of the hire. However, I do understand if the goal is simply get back to respectability three, four, five years down the road, we'll bring in somebody else and probably take it to the next level from there. I get it. I just don't think he's the type of a guy that's going to have a whole lot of uh, ceiling to what he's bringing to this operation. Hold on. Did you say hog mollies? Yeah, that's what that's what he's is, got up front. Is that is that what they call him? Hog mollies? That's right. Okay, next time the I Washington walk past an offensive football team, they made that uh, the Hogs. <laughs> the Hogs? Okay. Now, I'll, I'll remember that next time I talk to an offensive lineman on the show. Be like, what's up, Hog Molly? <laughs> I, wonder, I don't know if that's yeah. the, it's the a bad best idea. way to go about that. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, the goal for Illinois should be to win the week Big Ten, East, Big Ten West. rather. If that is the goal, then this was the wrong hire. I don't think yeah. Brett Bielema has that kind of a ceiling for Illinois. Somebody else brings up he already won 12 games in that division and already said he isn't running the offense that he ran at Wisconsin. Eh, he said he has evolved, quote unquote. He said that he has now gone to the NFL where he is currently working under Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator, who isn't exactly like a model of modern offenses with what he's done in the league. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Talk is cheap. I've Yikes. heard plenty from coaches that say that they have changed and they don't change because typically they end up kind of reverting back to the same ideals. He won 12 games at Wisconsin, which is very different than winning 12 games at Illinois. It's not a shot at Illinois. It's a reality. Missouri is not the same program as Florida. A coach that wins 12 games at Florida is a lot different than a coach that wins 12 games at Mizzou. It's just a different type of a job. So I hope he does well. I'm rooting for him just as I rooted for Brad Underwood and Brad Underwood has been tremendous. I am not as high on the hire as I think it seems like some others are, but I'm willing to give it a chance. It, it's not a bad hire. I just don't think it has a whole lot of ceiling to it. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final question for you. This comes from the 314. Guys, is it official that the Pittsburgh Steelers are done despite what they had started earlier this year being really impressive early in the season? Yeah, I mean, for me, BK, watching that game last night, this team does not have an identity anymore on its defensive side. The loss of Bud Dupree really hurt this team. And look, I get Ben Roethlisberger was playing at an MVP level in his first six, seven games, but and he is not what's leading this team. It was the defense. And frankly, I don't see the Steelers team making it out of the first round. I don't know who they would be playing in that first round, but frankly, anyone in that AFC right now can take down Pittsburgh. So yeah, in my eyes, they're done. They're a one and done team this year. Big Ben's been terrible in his last five games. I mean, <laughs> terrible. He's and those apart, five man. games, 240 yards per game, eight touchdowns, six interceptions, a 78 passer rating. It's, it's a nightmare for them. I don't think that the Steelers right now, I wouldn't have them. I would have the Titans above them. I would have the Browns above them. I think you can make a case at this point that you could have the Ravens above them. They, I have the Dolphins above them, BK. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far just <laughs> yet. That, de that defense is damn good, though. It is, but I still, I don't trust them yet. I don't trust them yet for, for the Dolphins. <laughs> but the, Okay. I mean, the Steelers are done. They, they are not yep. a real contender anymore. We can go ahead and shut the door on that. I don't think they're going to win that division. I think the Browns are going to win that division. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. 
Steelers opened the door, and now it's time for the Browns to walk right through it. By the way, if the Chiefs beat Atlanta this weekend, they have locked up the number one seed and don't even have to play their starters next week. The Steelers had every opportunity to be able to give Big Ben a little bit of rest and get that number one seed locked up in the last three weeks. Three straight losses against Washington, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. Just a nightmare end of the season for them. They've got Indy this week. I think they're going to lose, and then they finish it up on the road at Cleveland. I think they're going to lose that, losing five straight games to finish out the year after starting 11-0. Just an absolute nightmare for the Pittsburgh Steelers. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. There were two comments that I saw yesterday that I think tell the whole story about what baseball is going through in 2020. We'll talk about them coming up on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. So there were two comments that I saw yesterday, Alex, as I was kind of catching back up and trying to get myself acquainted with what had taken place while I was gone. And I want to get into them both right now because I think that they are pretty instructive on where baseball is right now. The first one came from a... Major League Executive talking to Ken Rosenthal about the current free agent market, okay? And I think this one's pretty indicative of where teams are, and I do think it applies potentially to the Cardinals. So this comes from Ken Rosenthal's story on The Athletic. Quote, one executive offers an entertaining variation on Andrew Friedman's famous line of, quote, if you are always rational about every free agent, you will finish third on every free agent. The executive, referring to the resistance of statistical analysis, uh, of excuse me, the executive referring to the resistance of statistical analysts to recommend contracts that might prove to be inefficient, said, quote, if you're not willing to tell your research and development department to stick it, you're never going to make a move, end quote. Again, that came from an MLB executive basically saying, listen, sometimes you have to make moves that in the models in the algorithms with all of the metrics that we're using might not make a whole lot of sense. And this is what I've been talking about. We've been talking about so much about the Cardinals is they're looking for the value signings, right? They're looking for guys that, hey, when we are done with this contract, it will have been a net positive for us no matter what throughout the life of the contract. The problem is any time that you sign a 10-year deal, the models that you put together will be blinking red lights. This is a really bad idea. Do not do this. And when you operate that way, well, you're never going to come out with that player. You're never going to get the guys that are at the top end of the market, right? Whoever signs JT Real Muto is immediately going to be docked by multiple uh, executives across the league because they're going to say, hey, that's a bad value signing for whoever the team is that signs him. Same thing will be true of George Springer, almost certainly. Hey, five years, $125 million. He's a good player, but you probably shouldn't pay that for George Springer. Next offseason, whenever you've got these shortstops available, same thing will be true. Corey Seager at 10 years, 250. Eh, that's a lot of money. I don't know about that year <laughs> eight through 10. Eventually, though, if you want to sign these players, you have to be willing to take that risk. Are all of them going to end up becoming perfect contracts? Of course not. Absolutely not. There's probably going to be some pain at the back end of that deal for some of these players. 
but you sign them because you want to get the top of the market guy. You don't want to be stuck with these middle of the pack four-year, $40 million contracts, James McCann could every bit as likely become a bad contract by year four. And so I thought it was really interesting seeing that there is apparently multiple executives out there that are at least in the same line of thinking as we are. And I think the Cardinals sometimes get paralyzed by this of overanalyzing, overlooking into the number side of things and not just taking a step back and saying, hold on, this is a really good player that we're not in on. Why aren't we in on these players? And it all kind of comes back to me, to these statistical analysts that they're not willing to say, no, it's something that we need to do here. Yeah, it's it's made baseball boring, BK. And not I'm not talking about the on-field product. I know we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes. I'm talking about the off-field product. I mean, look, the NHL and NBA, when it hits free agency, is must-watch television, must listen to, must be on social media. Like I'm guilty of it. When I was dating my wife, um, our, our anniversary, so to speak, was on the first day of free agency. Oh, we used to get in fights over it because I'd be on my social media accounts watching free agency happen. But that's what's not boring, right? Like when hockey offseason happens, that first day of free agency is must pay attention to because everyone is coming off of the board. All of the big names start to drop off. I mean, look, we're in the middle of a pandemic and Alex Petrangelo, although it took a couple of days, Tory Krug, Alex Petrangelo were one, two, as soon as that happened. And it was interesting. That's what baseball's missing out on. I was reading an article um, about Scott Rowland and his case for the hall of fame. And they were talking about how the analytics have ruined the third baseman when it comes to voting. And it talked about how the eye test is what those Hall of Fame voters need to be looking at. Frankly, these front offices need to go back to the eye test for these players because George Springer, yeah, statistically is probably going to be terrible in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh season of that contract. But one through four are going to be incredible to watch on the field and off the field. So you want to make that 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 fan base excited. Stop trying to analyticize. I don't even know if that's a word. It's not. Stop trying. It, it is now. Stop, stop trying, trying to, to so do analytical. that. Though. Yeah. No, stop trying to analyze. <laughs> no, I almost said a bad word on that one, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> stop trying to be so analytical when it comes to that stuff. Go for the eye test, and I get it. It's money. It's not our money to spend, but that's what baseball fans want, and that's how you prevent this from getting stale and getting boring. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. This is a really interesting question. Guys, has Bryce Harper been worth his contract so far? So Bryce Harper, if you remember, signed a 13-year, $330 million contract before the 2019 season. He was 26 years old at the time. This contract takes takes him through his age 38 season. He's going to get paid an average of 26, about $25 million per season over the life of the contract. Has he been worth it? I don't know. Would you be willing to take on a guy that has a 260 batting average, which is fine, a 385 on base percentage, a 515 slugging percentage with 48 homers, 150 ribbies, and 45 doubles over basically 200 games over the last two years? I would be. I'd sign up yeah. for that. I don't even question it, BK. Yeah, it was worth it because I guarantee you the baseball team pre-pandemic was selling just as much tickets because of Bryce Harper's name than what it paid to Bryce Harper to be there in terms of jerseys, people coming to the games, people paying attention to Bryce Harper, advertisement that goes with it. Yeah, it's worth it because a player like that 
you're going to get your money back because people want to see that on the field. And he's a guy that, if you look at it, 13 years, every single team, their analytical de- analytics department would tell them, do not sign this. This is a really bad idea. And I honestly, right. you guys know I'm a numbers guy. I, I understand why you wouldn't want to do that. However, with a player like Harper or next offseason with the shortstops, the really important part to keep in mind is you're also signing them in their prime. Like the hope from the Phillies was we are going to get the best years from Bryce Harper because we're signing him at age 26 and we're going to get 26 through 31 when he should be at his peak performance. And then, yes, there's going to be some downside on the back end of the career. But a lot of the players that you see on the open market, you're signing for four or five years, starting at age 32, where you never get that peak. You're only getting the back end of their career. The Cardinals have seemingly been okay with that despite the fact that they're unwilling to go the longer term for more money, yes, on these earlier, these guys that hit the market a little bit earlier. I found that to be a really interesting quote, and I think it is pretty telling of where a lot of these teams, including the Cardinals, are when it comes to these massive deals. There was one other quote from Mike Schilt that I want to get into briefly. He basically said in his press conference the other day, the Major League Baseball is becoming boring to watch because of the way that the game is played. There's not enough action. There aren't teams that are bunting. They're not moving the runners over. It's become station to station. There's no action in play. This has been my frustration for years now. It's not about the pitch clock. It's not about the shift. It's about the lack of action that is happening on any any given pitch, right? You have walks, you have homers, and you have strikeouts. And any time that you get one of those three plays – There's nothing that's actually taking place on the field. And so when you get these unique teams that do put the ball in play, well, they put pressure on opposing defenses that have now become worse because there are so many teams that are so reliant on hitting that they're okay with putting a bad defender at first base and at third base. They're okay with putting a guy that's in there for his bat in right field. And when you have all of these guys out there, well, if I'm a team that's hitting for a ton of contact, I can exploit the fact that that's the way that you've built your team. But there are very few teams that are actually doing that. There are even fewer that are stealing bases now. And so the game has become a little bit stale. How do you fix that? That's the task at hand for these managers and general managers and the um, baseball as a whole. I don't think they have a whole lot of great ideas right now, though, because they've they've talked so much about banning the shift. Okay, I guess maybe that helps a little bit, but it is not the number one problem that is plaguing the game right now. The problem that's plaguing the game is not putting the ball in play. Whenever it gets there, Mm -hmm. it gets through sometimes. There's a lot of research that's been done that the shift actually doesn't change your batting average in general. So it's more about getting the ball back in play, and I don't know how they do that. It's funny to hear Mike Schultz say that because his hitting coach in terms of the entire organization-wise is all about making sure you're waiting for the pitches and running that pitch count up, right? Like it's all about the walks now with that hitting side. But, you know, it's hard for me to decipher, BK, because uh, I, I it, me personally, I want home runs. I want doubles. But yet I'm also intrigued by pitching duels. I'm, tre- I'm intrigued by great defense. What keeps me away from the game in terms of I'm watching it, but I'm also on my phone. I'm working on other things because it's just background noise are all of the walks are all of the, Oh, we got to work this pitch count up. Oh, we got to make sure that this pitcher's a three batter minimum. That's not baseball in my eyes. Like I want action. I want the doubles. I want the triples. I want the double plays. I want everything that goes into old school baseball 
but with these newer players that love to hit the long ball. So this is a difficult thing. I don't, frankly, I don't see how the, how the, um, how the, the switch basically defensively doesn't make things less boring. Like I, I don't, that doesn't make a difference in my eyes. It's more so the mentality at the plate of, Oh, well, we got to make sure that this pitcher hits 25 pitches before he goes through the second inning so that we can work his count up. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man, because it's never been harder to be able to hit a major league fastball. These guys are throwing hundred miles per hour. They've got 20 different pitchers that can come in at any given time and throw heat. They've got sliders that are running off the table. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to hit a major league fastball or anything, a major league pitcher right now. It's never been more difficult. And that's, that's part of the issue here. And it's, it's not something you can fix. There's just better pitching today than there was previously. And there's more of them. So I don't, it's a difficult task at hand for baseball, but they've got to find something. They've got to find a way to at least kind of start chipping away at some of the issues that are plaguing the sport. Because right now the offseason's boring, then you get to the actual sport itself, and there's not enough action. And so you are eventually going to start losing some of your fans, especially younger fans, if you don't start correcting some of these issues, along with, of course, you know, the work stoppage that could happen next year as well. So you've got all of this as the backdrop. It's not easy. And they probably don't have the right man in charge right now to be able to get through some of this with Rob Manfred. It's twelve seventeen. your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. Let's start with this one, Ferrario. Bet It or Forget It, the Steelers will not make it out of the first round of the AFC playoffs. I'm going to bet it. Um, so I'm trying to think of who they would match up with BK because I don't think it's going to be Buffalo because Buffalo obviously is ahead of them right now. It obviously won't be Kansas City, but insert any of those AFC teams, Cleveland, Baltimore. I know you don't think it, but if Miami gets in, I think Miami could take them. I just, I don't see a matchup that's favorable for Pittsburgh right now in terms of their defense, being able to stop the other side offensively, they can still score. Maybe not so much, I guess, because Big Ben looks like he's turning into uh, to ARP card Big Ben. But um, but I- I'm betting it because I don't see this team getting through the first round right now. I think I'm betting it as well. And I think my biggest thing is what their schedule looks like moving forward. I mean, they've got the Colts this weekend. That's a game at home. But I'm going to pick the Colts in that one. They go yeah. on the road in week 17 to play against the Bill or against the Browns, rather. It's entirely possible that they end up as at best the sixth seed in the AFC and if that ends up being the case they're probably going to be on the road to play against either the Bills the Browns or the Colts I would take any of those three teams over the Steelers at home in the first round of the AFC playoffs so as much as this was to start the year a a really impressive season for the Steelers It has gone so far south over the last three weeks and I think is going to continue doing so over the next two weeks. 
I can't pick them to beat one of these teams in the AFC playoffs. There's just too many good teams, and I don't know that I consider the Steelers to be a good team at this point. I think it's officially hit me, and I'm sure it's probably hit Mike Tomlin, that Big Ben's time as the starting QB is over with. He might be a great backup, Brett Favre style, um, but uh, but he's not a starting quarterback anymore because he just can't he can't stay up to the level that he shows throughout a 16-17 week season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it from the 314 guys. Bet it or forget it, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still going to go to the Super Bowl despite what has been a disappointing last couple of weeks coming out of the bye. The Bucks in the Super Bowl. Ferrario, you betting it or forgetting it? Man, I'm going to forget this one. And I know a lot of people are on this Tampa Bay train right now. Um, you know, it was widely discussed over the weekend and into yesterday that this team starts off slow and then picks it up in the second half. The only part of me that wants to bet it is the fact that there's no clear cut team in the NFC. Like the Rams are God awful. Now what the happened? Seahawks are, what happened? Oh, well, I'll tell you what happened. It's two words. It's Jared Goff. That's oh, what happened. Boy. Just embarrassing on the field right now but remember I mean, the last Seahawks... week I asked you hey why doesn't anybody believe in the Rams they've done everything you could ask for from a team that could contend for a Super Bowl I got my answer over the weekend Ferrario I found my answer well f- frankly let me go on a little bit of a rant here I I I, I think there's a little tinfoil Ferrario in this BK like I think Sean McVay who called Adam <laughs> Gase last week I think he wanted Adam Gase to win he felt bad for him because they could have kicked the field goal and tied the game and probably went to overtime, but he decided to go for it on fourth down with less than five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Tinfoil Ferrario thinks that Sean McVay felt bad for the 0-13 Jets and said, ah, let's give them one. We'll make the postseason. But the Jets didn't want to win. (laughs) The Jets didn't want to win. I think it's both sides. I think it's Sean McVay feeling bad for Adam Gase and his bug eyes, and I think it's Adam Gase and the Jets saying, ah, we don't want to win this game. It was basically two mediums that hated each other. But I, I anyway, it was very strange in itself. But what I'm saying is there's no clear-cut team in the NFC right now. Like, I, the Saints have shown that they're vulnerable. Michael Thomas is dealing with something, and Drew Brees didn't look great. Um, I'm going to bet it. Boy, I started it saying forget it, but I'm going to bet it, BK, because I don't think there's a clear-cut team. If there's one that I'd put my money on, it's on paper the Buccaneers with the weapons that they have. Man, I am so disappointed by the way that they have come out of the bye week. So disappointed. They did not – I know what the score looked like. They did not look good against the Vikings. And then they had a three-score comeback against the Falcons. The Falcons. We all know that Atlanta is no good this season. So – the fact that this is what they look like coming out of their bye week is really, really disappointing to me. Can they yeah. still make the Super Bowl? Absolutely. If they were in the AFC, I would say no chance. No chance they're making it over teams like the Chiefs, the Bills, Browns, Colts, all of whom are hitting their stride right now. In the NFC, I don't love what I've seen from the Packers. I think they're pretty good. I don't love it, though. What I saw from the Saints on Sunday I know the score ended up being close. Anybody that watched that game knows the Chiefs dominated for the vast majority of it, and they ended up getting lucky with a couple of weird bounces. The the punt return fumbles out of the end zone. Safety ends up giving them two points. And then uh, sack strip fumble gives them a 20-yard drive. That's 10 points on the board, basically, for the Saints. And then... 
And then Cam Jordan getting ejected really hurt the Saints, too, having that defensive uh, front man. But I don't think they're great. I don't think the Seahawks are great at this point. There's really no great team in the NFC. So, better to forget it, the Bucs representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, given the odds right now, I think I'd bet it. Because I think they're every bit as likely, despite how disappointed I've been with them over the last two weeks, as teams like the Seahawks, the Saints, or the Packers. I think they're all pretty good. I don't think any of them are great this season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Ferrario. Tyler O'Neill will finish 2020 with at least 300 at-bats for the Cardinals. At least 300 at-bats. I'm betting this one, BK. Um, mostly because I don't expect them to make any significant moves in the offseason, bringing in another outfielder to compete with that unless the DH is there. Um, And look, we talked about Tyler O'Neill earlier and kind of what the best-case scenario is for this guy. The Cardinals still see him as a legitimate threat into this batting order. Um, Again, this guy's gone through plague after plague after plague. This past season is the only time that you can sit there and say the Cardinals just didn't play Tyler O'Neill. Uh, but I truly think that's going to change this season. So I'm going to bet this for 300 at-bats. I I honestly believe Tyler O'Neill is going to see closer to four or 500 at-bats because they want this guy to be a five, six-hole hitter on the roster. I'm with you. I'm betting it 100%. I think he's going to get every opportunity next year to fail or succeed. Yep. What, 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 I think they're going to say they're throwing the baby in the in the bathwater and they're going to let him sink or swim, right? Like this, this is the way that Tyler O'Neill's season is going to go. Let's find out. Let's get some answers once and for all on whether or not he is going to be a significant piece of what the Cardinals are building moving forward. Hey, you remember my tagline, BK. The answers are answers for 2021. (laughs) They most certainly are. (laughs) Final one for you here, Ferrario. Bet it or forget it. Ryan O'Reilly will win a Stanley Cup as the captain of the St. Louis Blues. Bet it. I I think Jeff Burton texted me yesterday, of course, our buddy over at uh, the Riz Show on 105.7 The Point, and he said, Ryan O'Reilly or Tarasenko with their number in the rafters at the end of their career. And I said, Ryan Ryan O'Reilly, because I think he's going to end his career as a St. Louis Blue. I think this captaincy more than anything proves that the Blues feel he is a perfect fit on this roster and they give him a captaincy. They're not going to give him a captaincy for two years. They're going to give him a captaincy because they feel like he can lead. Um, And and frankly, I see this window being open for the next two to three years for the Blues. So I'm going to bet it. I think Ryan O'Reilly wins at least one cup as a captain, if not more, if he's here long term with the St. Louis Blues team. Interesting. I I'm going to go ahead and bet it because why the hell not, right? I'm feeling a little frisky today. Let's go ahead and do it. He's got three years left on his current contract with the Blues. They're in this window right now. And guess how many years are left in this window? Three. Three. One, two, three. Count them out loud. And Ryan O'Reilly is a huge piece of that. If they are able to actually sign Mike Hoffman, this team has every opportunity this year to win a Stanley Cup. Like that, that should almost be the expectation going in this year of Stanley Cup or bust in some respects. I know it's a weird year with the pandemic and everything, and that's going to change some things, but the Blues will be one of the teams that is favored for the Cup if they're able to sign him and Tarasenko comes back healthy. So I'm going to go ahead and bet it. I think at some point in his tenure as captain for the Blues, the Blues get one more Cup to be able to put in that trophy case. And what a, what a run that would be. 50 years without one and then getting a couple in a five, six-year span. It'd be pretty nice. Pretty nice for the St. Louis Blues. 
I am here for all of that. Let's throw all of our money into it. We have so much. Let's throw it all down right now when the Blue's doing it. I'm on it. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, speaking of the Blues, we talked a little bit about the offense there with Mike Hoffman potentially being addition. What about the defense? How does it stay at its current form? We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. I just look at uh, Hedman this year in, in the Stanley Cup final. He's on the ice for 24 minutes a night. You know, if you're pairing him with a guy who would be a four on another team, all of a sudden he's a two on your team because a number one guy does that uh, for you. You know, we think Petro is one of those guys. And like I said, there's very few of them. And, uh, you know, we're excited to have them. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Pete DeBoer on why it's tough to win without a true number one defenseman when he was on the show with Alex, Jamie Rivers, and myself earlier uh, in the offseason right after the Blues decided to move on from Petro and Petro decided to go to the Vegas Golden Knights. It is difficult to do, Ferrario. I mean, you look up in Toronto, for instance. They've been looking <laughs> for that guy for, what, a decade? A decade plus at this point? Yeah. And they haven't been able to find it. They haven't been able to secure one over the years. And the result is a lot of disappointing losses once they get into the postseason. So the question that I wanted to talk with you is basically about the Blues defense, because that's been their calling card for basically the entire tenure under Doug Armstrong. They've always been solid along that defensive core. Ray Ferraro uh, said something interesting in Jeremy Rutherford's column yesterday about the Blues defense. He said, instantly to, to me, my thought is that the Blues are nowhere near as formidable defensively as they were in the past. In the last two years, they lose Petro. You take away Jay Bomeister out of there as well. And it's just not the same to me. Like, it's not even close. I think cumulatively, the defense is not going to be as good. It's not going to be the same, end quote. Again, that's Ray Ferraro, NHL analyst, to Jeremy Rutherford about the Blues defense. I think that, as much as we talk about the offense, the defense, to me, is the storyline heading into the year. What can Colton Pareko do to take that next step towards being coming, if not actually becoming, a number one defenseman in the NHL? What does Tory Krug look like for them in those pairings? What does Justin Falk look like now that he has an actual role as a top four defenseman on his preferred side? All of these are questions that we're going to have answers to very quickly. But I think as much as we talk about the offense, it very well may be the defense that determines the ceiling for this team in 2021. Yeah, and you know, and all due respect to Ray Ferraro, you know, and I would love to get him on sometime to talk with him about this. I, I, frankly, I think the Blues are just as good of a team than what they were with Alex Petrangelo. And the reason I say that, you know, go back to last season, BK. They had Jay Bomeister, but for a majority of that season, they didn't have Jay. Of course, when he collapsed in March and things kind of fell apart. But that season, with and without Jay Bomeister, they were fifth best in the National Hockey League in terms of goals allowed. The number one team last year was the Boston Bruins. They had Zdeno Chara. But their number two defenseman or 1B defenseman was Tory Krug, who they're bringing on board. That's going to be a benefit for the Blues. Now, Tory Krug is not Alex Petrangelo. Don't think of it that way. But Tory Krug is a very good defenseman, just as he is offenseman on the defensive side. Now, go back to 2018-19 when Justin Falk was a part of the Carolina Hurricanes, BK. Carolina 
was top 10. They were eighth in goals allowed, and he was the number two defenseman with a couple of other guys who now have taken over that number one role. So from team perspective, I think the Blues are in just as good of a position as they were before because Justin Falk can be a legitimate defender if you let him play on the right side where he's supposed to be playing, not throwing him all over the place. Tory Krug is a very good defenseman when he played with Zdeno Chara. Oh, by the way, the Blues have somebody the same size as Zdeno Chara, and that's Colton Pareko. And Pareko is the intriguing one because we came back and heard Pete DeBoer talking about Alex Petrangelo, how hard it is to play without a number one defenseman. I would argue that Colton Pareko is a number one defenseman. Now, he's not on the Petrangelo level yet, but if you go back to last season, or frankly the last two seasons, Colton Pareko is 30th among all NHL players in terms of time on ice. He's only about a minute 15 less than Alex Petrangelo. So Colton Pareko has been the number one defenseman for this team, along with Alex Petrangelo. Um, is it going to be the same? No, because you got to make up the ice time that Jay Bomeister provided. But I think from the defensive side, you're going to be just as good because now you're not so much concerned about playing on in your end of the ice as you are playing in the offensive side because this team is going to be great at transitioning the puck now with Krug and Falk. And the best defense can be offense if you're playing in the other side. You're not having to play in your own side as much. I think that what I would look at from this team, and it does kind of bring up the Mike Hoffman conversation again, but if they're able to sign him, I think this is about as balanced as the Blues have been since the cup run. Like you've got the you've got the four lines that you can roll out with Mike Hoffman in the mix the way that they did whenever they ultimately went on to win the cup. If you look at the defensive pairings, as much as they are better, objectively better with Petrangelo. He's a better player than anybody that the Blues currently have along their defensive pairings. I think they make more sense this year. I mean, if you look at just fitting into your role, Colton Pareko as a number one right-handed defenseman makes sense. Justin Falk as a number two right-handed defenseman makes a lot of sense. And it's the same thing on the left side, right? Tori Krug on that left side, Marco Scandella, top four defenseman on the left side, Vince Dunn, bottom six pairing on the all of these make a lot of sense. Like they just fit. If you look at the puzzle pieces last year, it was like they were putting a square peg into a round hole and trying to mash it in as much as they could, especially with Justin Falk. And it never really worked. Although we saw it work a little bit better once they got into the bubble and he was probably one of their better players in that format. I'm fully expecting a better season from Justin Falk this year because of every night he's going to know, Hey, you're coming in, you're going to be the number two pairing on the right side. That's going to be your role. And that was what made it so comfortable for Marco Scandella when he got in. Remember, I remember we talked with him right after he got here, and he, he mentioned a conversation that he had with Barubi, where Barubi basically told him, hey, we want you to play the Jay Bomeister role. Nothing more, nothing less. Watch what Jay Bomeister did with us, and you're going to do that exact same thing. That is exactly what your role will be. He was like, oh. Okay, I can fill that role. I'm a big body, pretty good skater. Like, I know exactly what is expected of me on a night-in, night-out basis. That was never the case for Justin Falk last year. And now it is. He knows what he is being asked to do every single night. And so for me, I think this kind of goes back towards what they had in their cup year when they were much more balanced, both in terms of the forward lines and also the defensive pairings. Everything just kind of shuffled together in a way that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, BK. It's defined roles. And the reason that this Blues team was so good in 2018 and 19 was because everyone had their role. 
Bomeister and Pareko were the shutdown D pairing. Petrangelo was the number one unit with Carl Gunnarsson and Joel Edmondson in terms of transitioning the puck. And you had a third role or third pairing in Dunn and Bortuzzo that could play their roles in terms of kind of shutdown, jumping into the rush when they needed to be. You have that now. You're shifting your identity. Is it the identity that you had in 2018-19 with Petrangelo? No, because they were a defensive-minded team. Now this is an offensive-minded team. Now this is a team that is is sole goal is to get the puck out of their own zone and into the offensive zone faster. That doesn't mean they're going to be a better offensive team, but it, it means they're going to be in the offensive zone more. And guess what, BK? When you're in the offensive zone more than the defensive zone, well, the team can't score the goal from there unless your goaltending is terrible or there's an empty net. So in my eyes, Scandella and Falk are going to be that number two pairing, which can be a shutdown role, but has the transition capability with Justin Falk. And don't discount Falk's ability to be a shutdown defenseman. Go back and look at that playoff run in 2018-2019 with Carolina. He was their MVP on the defensive side, without question. He was an all-star that season, which is why Doug Armstrong traded for him. Your number one unit is Pareko and Krug. And I and I sound crazy saying this. Pareko is by no means a Zidane Chara right now. But they are going to identify much like what those two did, Chara and Krug in Boston, with those two as a pairing, because you have a big defenseman who can play his own zone and crew can jump up into the rush. And then you have your third pairing insert here of Bortuzzo, Dunn, Gunnarsson, Perunovic, Mikola. The other caveat with this BK, which I know we got to get out for the junk drawer, but you're only as good defensively as you are as your goaltending. That's why this year is going to be huge for Jordan Bennington and Ville Husso. It's going to be a lot of games in a short amount of time. Your defense is going to be worn down. You're going to have to have your goaltending come up big. So when you look at the numbers, yeah, it doesn't look great on the defensive side, which is why plus minus is always such a joke. Mm -hmm. But you got to hope that the goaltending makes the saves when he can make the saves to make your defense better as well. Yeah, the one other thing that I wanted to bring up here is we talked a lot about um, what what on the ice, the personnel will make this a successful season for the Blues. There's also something in terms of the division that they're playing against that I do think potentially plays into their hands. We've talked to, I heard you and Curbs talk a lot about this yesterday where they're going to be able to get up a little easier to face some of the quality opponents that they will see in this Western Pacific division, whatever we're going to decide to call it, as opposed to some of the bottom feeders, to be honest, that they would potentially face more often in the central. Jeremy Rutherford in his piece earlier today put together the Blues. He assembled the Blues records against all of these Pacific divisional foes over the last three seasons. So how have they done individually against these teams over the last three years? You know which team they've done the worst against over the last three seasons? It's got to be Arizona because I go back to last season and and they couldn't win versus Arizona. It's Arizona. Three, five, and one over the last three years against Arizona. Meanwhile, for example, they're 5-0-4 oh, against the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, they're That's nine incredible and, to me. They're 9-4 and four against Colorado in the same time span over the last three years. When they go against the best of the best, the Blues put out their best game. They are ready for those matchups. It's almost as if sometimes, and we see this in the NFL right now, I think from the Chiefs, honestly, is they'll play to whatever their opponent's style is. They'll play to the quality of the opponent. The Blues do that sometimes, and that's how they end up getting beat by the Arizona Coyotes, and it's also a tough matchup speed-wise for them. So when you're going into this upcoming season and you have more of these competitive teams that you're going up against, 
I do think it plays into their hands a little bit of, okay, we're a team that plays up or down to our competition, and now we're just going to have to play up a lot because there's more quality teams in the Pacific than there is in the Central. So as a Blues fan, I know it can be a little frightening sometimes to see the quality of of opponents that you're going to be going up against. The Blues do better in those games than they do against the inferior opponents. So I do think that's one reason to believe as well. That's why that Midwest division scared me more than the Pacific because the Blues have had success against teams like Colorado, Minnesota, Vegas. Vegas is incredible to me. Like, how have you not lost in regulation to these guys? But it, but that's the way it goes. But that Midwest division, BK, that was nerve-wracking because you have teams like Nashville and Chicago who may not be to your level, but when you play them, they're very difficult. You don't know how to decipher Detroit. Detroit could be a team that upsets a lot of people this season. Tampa might not have their best guys, so the Pacific Division matches the blue style to a T, and it's also going to be huge to have a guy like Kyle Clifford now because this is going to be a nasty division to play in, and you got a guy who's willing to step up to that much like Pat Maroon and Ryan Reeves did when they were here. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. For all you Blues fans out there, Alex Steen is going to have his press conference live coming up at 2 o'clock. We will carry that for you right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESP. And again, you will hear from Alex Steen live talking about his retirement from the NHL coming up at 2 o'clock. Coming up next, though, time to dive into the junk drawer right here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Powered by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go Blues. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the Junk Drawer. Ferrario, we'll get us started today. So I was going through some of the news last night, and I came across a headline I just couldn't refuse. A <laughs> U.S. judge best. says that parents owe their son over trashed pornography collection. Okay, yeah, I'll click on that one, right? So according to the story, <laughs> a U.S. judge in Michigan has ruled that a 42-year-old man can seek comp- compensation from his parents for destroying his pornography collection. So here's basically what happened here, Ferrario. David okay. Working is this gentleman's name. He lived with his parents after for a brief period of time after he got divorced from his then wife. When he came to his parents' house, he arrived with a box. This box had roughly $25,000 worth of videos, uh, magazines. Uh, yeah, big box certain- of porn. Certain toys, apparently, were a part of this box. (laughs) He lived with them for about 10 months. He moved out in August of 2017. When he moved out, he apparently forgot this box at his parents' house. So he gives him a call. He says, Ma, Dad, I need that box. Do you have it? Do Do you know where it was? And they said, Son, David, Mr. Working, if you will, We have destroyed that box and all of its contents. They are no longer here. We did not want that in our house. Damn right. David decided to take them to court to get the money for his 1,600 DVDs and tapes, along with boxes of, you know, the toys that he had, all of which has been approved by a U.S. judge now. This gentleman has been wronged. His parents owe him money, and he can continue to seek compensation from them because of their wrongdoings. So basically, his relationship with his parents are over. Uh, I mean, when you sue your parents over... 
When you sue your parents over a big box of porn, your relationship pretty like there's no holiday get-togethers anymore, right? Like, they oh, brought him we'll in forget to, a Imagine being the parents who brought in their son in a time of need when he was divorced from his wife. Of course. <laughs> and his repayment to them is, hey, remember when I spent some time with you guys at your house sleeping in your basement and you didn't require yeah. me to pay rent? Yeah, uh -huh. when I moved out, I forgot a box at your house. You threw it away, and now you owe me twenty-five grand. Yeah, twenty-five grand. First of all, there's no way that your box of porn is worth twenty-five grand. Like I don't, I don't know, care. Man. Well, I, I, I've never investigated DVDs. Yeah, what are you also doing with six? You tell me if you've seen all of those 1,600 DVDs. I guarantee I you, you have not. I disclose that information to you. I guarantee <laughs> you, he has not seen all of those DVDs. But here's the other one, BK. He's got a Netflix what? catalog of pornography. <laughs> What's going I on? Know, Netflix had a catalog of pornography. That's the other thing. What type of uh, world is he living in? He does know that there's an internet, right? Like, he knows that you don't need the big box of you porn. You got viruses the big box of from that, man. Hey, you know what? Buy your own laptop. Don't do any. Make the laptop your big box of porn. It's the World Wide Web of porn rather than the big box of porn. Well, they can't throw away that, can they? He apparently prefers the old school route. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, he has neither he, he right prefer, now. <laughs> he prefers hands-on is what you're saying. E exactly what I'm saying. Ferrario, what, do you, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, my man? Well, well, speaking of hands-on, BK, um, by the way, I know six five seven eight zero Sierra Comfort Service excellent from the three one four. So, guys, uh, what do you think led to the divorce? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've got a pretty good idea of what ultimately led to that was, divorce. I think it was the sixteen hundred DVDs and the couple of toys that were in that box is what led to the uh, led to the so divorce. Netflix and chill by yourself. That's what he was doing at his parents' house in their basement. <laughs> Maybe the parents threw the box out because they opened it thinking it was like, oh, uh, Dale, I found this big box of Christmas lights we can put up. What the hell? Get this trash it's out of here. It's vibrating. It's vibrating. <laughs> David, why is your box vibrating? Well, BK, speaking of hands-on, buddy, I know you're uh, I know you're not big into golf, but, um, you know, every once in a while, I know that our listeners out there can uh, can second this. You, yeah. Sometimes you got to go to the bathroom when you're golfing, right? Like, you've had too I'm much sure to drink, true. you got to go. There's not a porta potty there. And I don't know if anybody's ever fallen guilty to this, but you don't want to um, whip your unit out in the middle of golfing and then somebody drive by and see it. So there is a new item that you can buy for Christmas, BK, and it's basically a holder for your wang. You can pee into a golf club what? while on the golf course so nobody can see you. So basically what this so is, like there's a, a video. it's like a bottle that you can insert into the engine, basically. Yes. It's a, okay. it's a golf club. So you can basically stand next to your golf cart and make it look like you're just holding your golf club at your hips until you swing. And you can be urinating into this golf club with nobody seeing. I feel like there's got to be some some catches here. Like I, I have a feeling that there is there's some issues that could potentially arise. Like somebody's gonna attempt to use it, be like, oh, <laughs> not quite the right size here. This could be a, a little problematic. <laughs> Somebody's going to swing the golf club and the cap's going to come off and just urine is going to explode yeah, that's everywhere. The other thing. Like, do you just keep it with all of the rest of your clubs? I, I feel like that's totally unsanitary during a pandemic. Well, and I would imagine you empty it out at the end of your golf or maybe when you come to a porta potty so that nobody knows that you're urinating. But, BK, the big part of this junk tour is how much do you think this golf club costs? 
Well, I would imagine if you're somebody that's willing to pay for this, you probably hold it at a pretty high value. So I, again, as you said, I myself am not a big golfer. I'm horrible and I don't like doing things that I'm really, really terrible at other than radio. Um, so <laughs> I, I try to avoid going to the links. 150 bucks. $375 you can buy this Can't golf buy, club like, a with. a set of golf clubs for that? Like, not a good one, Fra but a set of clubs? Frankly, I think you can buy, like, a bowl for, like, $10 and just go into that so you nobody can, can see when you're a bowl. Okay. Like a bowl to pee in? Okay. No? Never okay. mind. And BK, maybe you're bad at golf because you've never used a uh, golf club that's filled with urine. Pro probably the case. I think that's probably Try true. Try it sometime. He's Try Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the NBA is expanding. At least that's what they're potentially saying. What are the odds St. Louis gets into the mix of this? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. One hour from now, you will hear live on 101 ESPN the Alex Steen live press conference as he announced his retirement last week. Now he is going to meet with the media today to discuss his plans as he moves forward and to wrap up what was a pretty incredible career. So Alex Steen, you will hear from him live coming up at 2 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Bernie Federko coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll ask him about Alex Steen plus the Blues' new captain as Bernie Federko himself was a captain about 20 years ago, 30 years ago rather. So, Ferrario, let's get into this. The NBA's expansion plans uh, have come out, and it sounds like, according to Adam Silver, the NBA is planning at some point. We don't know the timeline on this. They're planning to expand, though, and they're going to have expansion teams. If I had to guess, I think that they're going to say, you know what, Seattle, we left you high and dry. You're going to get a team. Las Vegas, we know that they have a perfect arena right now that is ready to go. It is a thriving market. They're already getting in business with some of the gambling sites, so it's a natural fit there as well. I think... Those will be the two markets that are given teams in the NBA's expansion. However, I know how this works here in St. Louis. If the NBA is talking expansion, we want to get our name out there. How realistic do you think it is that St. Louis could potentially be on this list as well? Boy, the fan in me of the NBA is hoping that it's realistic because this would be incredible. This is a basketball hotbed, just like it's a soccer hotbed. I mean, look at the talent that St. Louis has grown when it comes to Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal and Patrick McCaw, and that's just recent players. Um, boy, it's so hard for me to say it's it's a realistic option because – you know, then you got to get ownership group involved that would be willing to pay the price. And we've had people step up in the past, but we've also been burned in the past. Um, you know, I would love to see it, but I would say Seattle and Vegas are definitely two that would be ahead of St. Louis and getting a team BK. And I would throw Nashville in there as well, mm -hmm. because Memphis is great for basketball. Um, my, uh, my, my favorite Justin Timberlake, of course, being a part of that ownership group, but I would imagine Nashville is going to be at the forefront as well. But you know, I would never rule St. Louis out because uh, Dr. Chaffetz of Chaffetz Arena has talked about the NBA in the past. So um, don't rule them out, but I would say it's a very low possibility that St. Louis gets an NBA team, which is d disappointing to say because, man, 
would I love to support something like that? Yeah, it'd be awesome. We're, I think we're all in favor of the possibility, right? It just seems unbelievably unlikely. If there yeah. weren't places that already had the arenas and that were already known to be good NBA cities, if those didn't exist, I think maybe St. Louis throws its hat in the ring and at least has an opportunity to be able to get one of these teams. But it just seems so so clear at this point Vegas Seattle those are the two spots the other thing and this is not me saying it because I'm a Kansas City guy but Kansas City does have a newer arena in downtown Kansas City and the mayor has publicly sought out NBA teams both in terms of the Toronto Raptors who are going to be playing in Tampa Bay this upcoming season he has publicly been pretty clear he would love to get an NBA team into Kansas City I think it might even be more likely that they end up in KC than St. Louis, unfortunately. I do think St. Louis would be a better market for an NBA team than Kansas City would, but they're going to look at things like what what is there to do around the arena, what does the arena's amenities look like, and the Sprint Center up in KC is just, it's so new, it's going to be hard unless St. Louis were willing to build a new arena, which seems unlikely. It, It would be pretty difficult to be able to keep up with that as well. I think for now... We'll stick with our MLS. We've got hockey. Um, We've got great baseball here in St. Louis. That's probably what we're going to have for the foreseeable future. But if the NBA decides do an expansion now, do another one 10 years from now, I think that's when maybe St. Louis could be able to get on a list like this. But I think it's it's unlikely right now. And you can't overlook the fact that they had an NBA team in the past. You know, the St. Louis Spirits are something that people still talk about and still remember when they played in the NBA and the ABA. So, I mean, you definitely can't overlook the history when it comes to basketball. But, again, I think they're going to be very low on the list in terms of expansions if the NBA is looking to make money and build off of that. So, speaking of the... Uh, off season Ferrario. There was a story. I want to get to this quickly because I think you guys discussed it a little bit yesterday, but Yadier Molina posted on his Instagram over the weekend, basically saying, tell me my people, which team would you like me to play for? I want to read them. Let's go. From what you saw yesterday, when you guys talked about this, what have you seen as the reaction from this Instagram post for Yachty. Do you think Cardinals fans care about this, or at this point are they kind of numb to the fact that this is just how it was going to go? I don't – I think fans are just numb to this right now, to be honest with you. I mean, this is is social media at its finest. This is Yachty or Molina – playing with the fan base, right? Like this is this is kind of putting the threat out there to the Cardinals in any way that he can, but it's also having fun with it as well. And I mean, I can't speak for all of Cardinals fans because I know there's a lot of them that do take this seriously and see that and be like, oh man, Yachty, you got to come back. But for me as a fan, you see that and you're like, okay, I mean, are you really good? You're not basing your decision off of who you're going to sign with by the overall count on Instagram comments saying, oh, we think you should play for the White Sox. No, we think you should come back to the Cardinals. You can put that out there as much as you want, Yachty, but if the White Sox are only willing to give you $7 million and the Cardinals are only willing to give you $6 million, well, that vote's not really going to make that much of a difference. So as, as much as it gets people riled up, I think that's all that it is in my eyes, at least for Yachty, is let's see how many people we can get riled up with this and let's put a little bit of pressure on the Cardinals to come to a decision. This is Yadi Molina. Like, this this is who you root for. It's, it's the same guy. Now, it's manifesting itself in very different ways. 
but it's the same player. Remember what happened after the season whenever he didn't win the gold glove? Said, respects to all the finalists of the 2020 NL uh, Receptor. Now, I do see an injustice for those who decided this. I don't know if it's MLB or whoever, but it's clear they don't want Yadi Molina to uh, to draw with the greatest Johnny Bench at uh, with, with the number of gold gloves he has. I'm judged not by those supporting the league or anything. I'm not going to be their puppet for me at 38 years old. I still believe that I'm the best. Ask any catcher in the MLB and they'll tell you. That's Yadi Molina when he felt like he was disrespected by people who voted on the Gold Glove Awards. By the way, nobody voted on the Gold Glove Awards this year. It was <laughs> exclusively based on the numbers. That's how Tyler O'Neill got the award this season. Right. He wasn't done wrong by anybody. It was just different metrics. If it was the typical popularity contest, Yadi or Molina very well may have won the award, whether he was deserving or not, because he has that name recognition. So... Yadier Molina is the guy that is going to get himself into the lineup every day. He is the guy that got the three-year, $60 million contract because he deserved it and because he was going to fight for every penny that he could get on there. It's the same guy that fights his ass off during the season that is super fiery and emotional. That is the same player that we're seeing right now in negotiations. He didn't like what the offer was. It was reported by Mark Saxon that he and his team felt that it was, quote, ridiculous. And when you have a player like that who gets into this situation and now wants to feel wanted by teams across the league and is hitting true free agency, well, yeah, this is the result. And it sucks. I wish that it didn't go this route. I wish we could have had this locked up and done by now. But it was always going to head this way. It was never going to be pretty when there were negotiations that lasted a while between Yadier Molina and the Cardinals because it's a side with the Cardinals that wants to show every bit of respect to a legend that they view as a legacy player. And it is a player in Yadier Molina that doesn't view himself as a legacy player. He views himself still today, as he told you in that Instagram post, what, two months ago now? Mm-hmm. He is still a gold glove caliber player. He still views himself as a stud in the league. And so it's just two, a team and a player coming from very different sides of the spectrum. And I understand both sides, honestly, but this is the way that Yachty deals with things. He does, he's emotional and he does want that appreciation and he's seeing it on Instagram when he posts stuff like this. And it was always going to end up going this route. Unfortunately, I, I hope that they're able to get him signed, but I don't think if you're a Cardinals fan, you should worry about this. I think it's just something that comes along with Yadier Molina. It's just, just his Instagram page is something that's going to cause you a little bit of frustration over this off season. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We will hear live from Alex Steen coming up at 2 o'clock. You will hear that press conference right here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, though, let's talk about Alex Steen's legacy here in St. Louis and the new captain for the Blues, Ryan O'Reilly, with the former captain of the Blues and Hockey Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko, going to join us next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up at 2 o'clock, we will go live to the Alex Steen press conference as he announced last week his retirement from the NHL. He will speak on that. Coming up at 2 o'clock, you'll hear it live right here on 101 ESPN. But right now, let's go.
go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Thrilled to be joined by Hockey Hall of Famer, former Blues captain in the 88-89 season. He is Bernie Federko joining us here on the show. Bernie, we always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fine, thanks, gentlemen. Uh, thrilled to have you. So let's start with Alex Steen, if we could. When you think Alex Steen, what is, what is the memory? What is the lasting um, photo, uh, photograph? The, uh, what flashes in your mind of how you will remember Alex Steen's career here in St. Louis? Well, I think just his consistency at both ends of the, of the ice. I mean, uh, Alexander Steen came over uh, from Toronto. I think one of the great steals, I think, that uh, Larry Flo was able to do uh, uh, to make a deal like that, to get uh, a quality player like that, a guy that uh, uh, obviously has known the game. His dad played the game for a long time in Winnipeg, and I think he learned very well from his dad how to play this game. And I think uh, if you look at consistency from uh, one player over the course of his entire career with the Blues, I mean, that. No matter whether he was killing penalties on the power play, whatever he was asked to do, I think that uh, he was the ultimate uh, professional. And I think that's the way I always look at, at the way he played the game. And uh, I think, uh, obviously, um, you know, we all have the memories of him winning the Stanley Cup and getting to hold that Stanley Cup, something that he very much deserved. I mean, ended up, you know, moving down the line up to a, a fourth line that really was very, very valuable. Um, you know, playing with Sundquist and Barbashev, that was a very, very valuable line. Uh, you know, a big reason that the Blues won the Stanley Cup. So I, I will always look at him. He was an ultimate, uh, ultimate professional. Uh, that's what Alexander Steen to me is. Bernie, how tough is it for what Alexander Steen's going through right now? Because by no means did he want to call it a career, but unfortunately injuries kind of forced him into it. And every athlete wants to go out on their own terms. But something like this, that's not an easy thing to cope with, is it? No, it's not. I mean, uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, you have to be a realist as well. I mean, uh, he's had some trouble, obviously, with the back. Uh, um, you know, it's 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 never fun to, to have injuries, but I think the game of hockey, especially because of all the, you know, physicalness of the game, you're going to get aches and bruises. And you're going to get things that happen to you during your career that uh, sometimes you can fight through them and, and, and win the battle, but other times you just kind of just got to go and say, hey, I can't do it anymore. And I think that he's in that situation. He's had a great career. Uh, it's tough. It's always tough to, to hang them up because you love to play the game. I mean, uh, I think we all feel very fortunate, those that have been able to play the game for, for a living, is that when you, you're, you know, you've grown up as a kid playing a game and all of a sudden you're getting paid for it and you're, you're making money, you know, doing the thing that you love and uh, you don't ever want it to end. But uh, at some point uh, in time, you have to understand that you, you, you can't continue on. Uh, you know, things change and uh, new people come in and and you know it's it's a little tough to 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 have to have to say when your time comes, but I think that everybody deep down knows when it's it's that time, and I think that for Alex, uh, he knows that this is the time, this is the best time for him to step away. Bernie, you mentioned it too. Following up on that, you know, Steen played a lot like his dad, that old school hockey style. Thomas Steen, of course, and Doug Armstrong talked about that. Alexander can have any type of career in hockey post playing that he wants. Uh, you've talked with Alexander so many different times, but this guy has such a hockey mindset, doesn't he? That makes you believe he could be working in a front office or working as a coach at some point down the road. Absolutely. I mean, uh, he has been very well schooled. You mentioned his dad. I mean, uh, you know, growing up with a dad that's playing in the National Hockey League, uh, obviously it helps you an awful lot. I mean, uh, they've talked an awful lot about hockey, and uh, I think then you just the way that you watch Alex play, the way he trains, uh, everything that, that he has done, um, 
uh, with the game of hockey has, has been manipulated. I mean, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. He knew what he has to do to come to training camp. He, he's one of those guys that, you know, was first at the locker room, uh, making sure that the young kids uh, watched what he did. So, I mean, uh, yes, I mean, he's uh, a natural leader. And, and if he, you know, wants to take that step, I'm sure that the Blues would, would, would certainly entertain it. But, I mean, that's up to uh, him right now. I mean, uh, you know, you step away from the game. Do you want to continue to stay part of it or do you want to move on? And those those are things that a lot of times it takes you a little bit of, of time after you uh, finally pack it in and decide what you really, really want to do. Hockey Hall of Famer Bernie Federko joining us here on 101 ESPN. Bernie, you mentioned the leadership void that they're going to have without Alex Steen being in that locker room uh, this upcoming season. Ryan O'Reilly expected to at least fill some of that as the new captain for the team. What do you think of the decision to go with Ryan O'Reilly as the new captain? And what in 2020, Bernie, what are the main roles for the captain of a hockey team nowadays? Well, I don't think the role has ever changed. I mean, it's leadership. I mean, you lead by example. You say the right things when you're needed to be said in the locker room. I mean, uh, every every captain has a different role. I mean, uh, some are very, very vocal. Others are not. So, uh, I mean, and I, I think that the, the one thing that um, you always look at, I mean, there's a lot of great leaders on this hockey club. Yes, Alexander Cena was one of them. But uh, you know what? Alex, Alex Trangelo was the captain of the team, a very good leader. And uh, but I think that, you know, just because you have a, a letter on your jersey doesn't mean that, that you're the only leader. And I think that, um, you know, that Ryan O'Reilly is, is obviously a great choice for captain. Uh, he he uh, We all know his work ethic. We all know what he means to this hockey club. Uh, we all know uh, that he says things when he has to say things and, and he does things when he has to do it by example on the ice and showing up for practice early, all the little things that he does. So uh, I think leadership is, is something that, that, uh, you know, you're really not born with the, you, 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 uh, uh, you learn your way from watching other players and, and, you know, Ryan's been around an awful long time. He's learned from an awful lot of great, great players. I'm sure that he's, he's played with guys that, uh, you know, when he first started guys that he, you know, has watched and, and obviously from talking and being so successful in the league, I mean, he's got a lot of friends that are really great players. So, I mean, I, I think that, uh, uh, his role will be whatever he wants it to be, uh, but he's he's a leader. He's a natural leader, and and, and I really believe that uh, um, you know he will have his goals. He will have his moment when he wants to say something, or uh, a lot of times he'll just lead by example. But uh, um, as I said, there's still going to be a lot of leaders on this hockey club, no matter who wears the letters. And still, you still expect everybody uh, to to pull their load, and everybody that even doesn't have a letter that has to be a leader at the right times as well. Bernie, how, how important is comfortability in a locker room when you take on this role as a captain? Because, you know, you go back and look at the Buffalo situation where Ryan O'Reilly was, not saying that he wasn't comfortable, but it was just a hard time to really get everyone on board with that organization. But from the moment O'Reilly stepped into the locker room here, people were drawn to him at practices. You know, he was always vocal with the media. He was outspoken when things weren't right. I would imagine when you're comfortable with a group of guys, it makes being a captain a lot easier, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, when you're new to a team, obviously it's a little more difficult. You're, you're still learning personalities. You're learning uh, systems. You're learning all kinds of different things. But, I mean, Ryan's been around uh, with the Blues a couple of years now. I mean, he's won a Stanley Cup. He's been very much a leader. And, uh, yes, we all see what he has to say when he says it. He's very well spoken. And, and I think he's one of those guys that everybody wants to follow in behind. So, uh, you know what, I, I don't think that that he needs to change anything at all i mean the one thing you don't want to do is put extra pressure on a person because uh, he's wearing the letter i mean 
Now, sometimes that letter can get an awful, awful uh, heavier than it's supposed to be, but uh, I think he's the ultimate pro. He's been around. He knows um, what he has to do. And, 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 I mean, I don't think anybody works any harder than, than I've ever seen a, a guy work as, as hard as the way he does. So um, he's a likable guy, and, and I think he's got every trait to be a perfect captain for this hockey club. Last question that I had for you, Bernie. We were talking about it a little bit earlier today. They do have a little bit of that LTIR, long-term IR money now to be able to spend. And Doug Armstrong said last week he plans to spend that, whether it be now or uh, during the season closer to the trade deadline. The guy we've been talking so much about, of course, is Mike Hoffman, who's still out there on the open market. Uh, Bernie, you've watched a lot of this guy over his career. What kind of a player would he be adding to this Blues lineup if the Blues decided to go that route in Mike Hoffman? Well, you know what? I mean, obviously, he's a natural goal scorer. I mean, um, you know, Mike Hoffman, one of those guys that is, uh, no matter where he's played, he's always going to score goals. And I think you can always find room for a player like that on your hockey club. But, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, obviously, Doug Armstrong is going to evaluate this hockey club. I mean, uh, there is going to be some obviously changes, you know, with now no Alex Petrangelo, you know, Krug comes in. I think this puts more pressure on, on the defense, on puts more pressure on a guy like Pareko. I think it's going to be more pressure on Scandella. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we're probably going to see uh, a lot of different things happen back from the blue line and uh, more pressure is going to be put on everybody there. But, I mean, uh, you know, again, Alex Stannerstein is gone now, so, you know, you've, you've got some room. You've got to start moving some, some pieces around. So, um, uh, Army's always been a, that kind of guy, that kind of general manager. He seems to know when to pull the trigger, what to do at the right time. So, I don't know if Mike Hoffman is, is, is going to be the guy that he, he wants to, to bring in. But, uh, you know, certainly when you look at at uh, – the, the, the scoring on this hockey club, you've got to score. You've got to continue to get better and better. You've got to be able to score you know, more and more goals, and especially when you go into, the, I think, into this Western Conference that the Blues are going to go in. I think there's going to be a lot of offense involved as well. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to read Army's mm-hmm. mind, but I, I certainly think that uh, uh, if there is a spot for a guy like Mike Hoffman, I think that if the Blues can work him into the into the payroll, into the, what they need to do, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Army would be very open to, to, as he always says, to make this uh, – a better hockey club than, than it than it is uh, from day to day. Well, Bernie, we can't wait to watch you on the Blues broadcast once again soon. We are excited for this upcoming season. He's the Hockey Hall of Famer, former Blues captain, Bernie Federko, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Bernie, all the best to you and the family. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll talk with you again soon as we get closer and closer to this Blues season. Sounds great, guys. Thanks. You guys have a Merry Christmas as well. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Bernie Federko, Hockey Hall of Famer, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I can kind of feel it now, Ferrario, and I know if I can feel it, that means you can really feel it as somebody who's going to be back on the pre-post and intermissions for us here on the station. It's starting to feel like hockey season. Like the conversations are becoming more real. We're starting to put together in our heads the lineup combinations and everything it's finally starting to feel like hockey's right around the corner. And we have, guess what, three weeks now before the puck officially drops for the regular season. It's pretty awesome, man. There's some plans that are there. The schedule, it sounds like, is close to coming out. Um, we know where the Blues are going to be playing in terms of the division. We got the news earlier today that probably not in front of fans. It, it, it's feeling real. There, there's a real sense of hockey is right around the corner now. You know, there's been an extra pep in my step, BK, because I know that we are getting back to this. And look, uh, all of these start times that everyone has been uh, frustrated about, I get it, man. Like, it's not going to be fun. 
But look, coming from a guy who's going to have a newborn right about the time that the <laughs> middle of the season is going to be hitting in and those nine o'clock starts, I am so amped up for these. I'm going to have that extra like dad energy in these post game shows at one in the morning and then BK and Ferrario the next day. It's going to be ridiculous, man. And what was it? I think JR said it was like 16 games that are going to be truly Pacific time. Yeah, and I think Curbs and I did the math yesterday. Like, it's it's an extra five games in the season that you're going to have in those times. And Michael Russo reported it earlier. The NHL knows that that sucks for the fan base. So I wouldn't be surprised that rather than these 9 o'clock starts, you're going to see mountain times. You know, maybe it's going to be 8 o'clock, which doesn't mean that much. Or maybe they are going to give some of these 7 o'clock starts because you don't have fans in the stands in the California on the West Coast. So you can do earlier starts and it not affect much. So I wouldn't be so fast to be upset about the nine o'clock starts. Yeah. And even if it is, I mean, it, an extra couple, here it's hockey, there, man. And I bet you they put <laughs> as many of those as they can on the weekends for fans. I, I we'll, yep. we'll get through it. We'll make it. At least oh, we've got man. something, you know, and it, it, yeah. it should be a pretty darn entertaining season. I can't wait to be able to see it. Hopefully they're able to get Mike Hoffman in the mix. That'd be a hell of an addition yep. this late into the off season with Alex Ferrario, who you will hear pre post and intermission host right here on one. 101 ESPN, your home for the Blues. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Are we sure? Are we sure that the Steelers are even going to win their own division, much less make it to the Super Bowl? We'll get into it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to Luke Clevenger for helping us out on the board today. Let's play a game of Are We Sure? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Let's start out with this one, Ferrario. Are we sure the Steelers are going to win the AFC North? What once felt like a foregone conclusion got a little dicey over the last three weeks as the Steelers have now dropped three straight games they are one game ahead of the Cleveland Browns but this week in the Steelers have to take on the Colts and then they finish things out against the Browns Ferrario are we sure that the Steelers are going to be able to retain possession of first place in their own division at this point no not with the rest of the schedule this season I, I really think the Browns are the team that's going to win that division right now mostly because of the rest of the schedule for Cleveland and the fact that right now Baker Mayfield is playing at a different level. I don't know if it's because of these commercials that he's doing or <laughs> if it's just by the way, he has the best commercials, commercials of any NFL quarterback without question. Like Pat Mahomes, your boy, he's got nothing on Baker Mayfield Mahomes with commercials these commercials. Stink. That's the worst thing. Yeah, he they does. Really he's do. an unbelievable quarterback. He seems to be a great dude. He's terrible in these commercials. Just awful. Well, that's, that's what happens when you put ketchup on your steak, BK. You suck at acting on television, or at least I'm told. But no, I don't think Cleveland wins another game this season. Honestly, I really Pittsburgh. don't. Those two matchups are, yeah, Pittsburgh, I'm sorry. Those two matchups do not benefit them. I don't care if they're home or away. I don't care if Mike Tomlin decides to break a whiteboard in the locker room. It's not going to change anything. Cleveland, in my eyes, are the AFC North champions, which I don't know why the hell I just said that and what world we're living in because the Bills are going to be the AFC East champions. And this is all so strange for me right now. It is, and I'm with you, man. I am, I am definitely not sure that the Steelers are winning the AFC North. In fact, I'm pretty sure that they are not winning the AFC North. I think they lose out. I think Cleveland wins out. And by that, Cleveland would overtake them for first place in the AFC North. For what it's worth, 
The Browns go to New York to play the Jets this upcoming weekend. And then, like we said, finish things out against the Steelers. I think the Browns are going to be able to get this thing done. And what a world 2020 is. It is very likely that your division winners are going to be the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East, the (laughs) Cleveland Browns in the AFC North, the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South, and then your usual suspect with the Chiefs in the AFC West. But that is... It has been completely turned on its head in the AFC right now. You're starting to see the transition in the AFC. It started last year with the Titans taking down Tom Brady, ending the Brady era in New England. And now we have officially seen it take effect. Been done, it looks like, with the Steelers as the clear-cut number one team in the AFC North. It's about to be some interesting years in the uh, years to come with these young quarterbacks that are starting to make their presence felt in the AFC. 2020 is crazy in itself, PK, but you know what would make it even better is if that last regular season game, Mason Rudolph starts for Pittsburgh against Cleveland and Miles Garrett. Like, give me that for the last of game of the that. season. None of us actually Give need me that. that. Come on, man. We don't need any more Mason Rudolph in our life. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service saying, text line yep. for Are We Sure? <laughs> From the 636. <laughs> Guys, are we sure that Brett Bielamo was the best hire that Illinois could have made? No, because my army guy is the guy that they should have gotten. What's his name? You love Jeff Monk. What, what? What's his name? What? <laughs> hey, they should have hired the guy that I wanted. What was his name yeah. again? What's Jeff Munkin. What? Jeff Munkin. I wanted to say Monty, but Monty's not it. But no, I, I, I look. Brett Mielma had success in the Big East, which are the Big Ten, which is the important part of this, and I think that's kind of at least what. Um, Josh Whitman's mindset was of getting a guy who's familiar with this conference in terms of recruiting. I think he's going to make recruiting interesting with Eli Drinkwitz, but no, I mean, and again, look, I don't, uh, I don't know that much about, uh, about Munkin as the guy, but just from our interview that we had last week with a couple of different college football writers, the fact that he was a part of the coaching staff at army, the fact that he's a big E or the, he's an East St. Louis native, um, I think would have boded well for Illinois, but I think Bielma was an option that they're putting their cards in, and I think they're hoping that it pays off for him. Yeah, I, I'm i not a huge fan of the hire, depending on what you wanted out of the hire, and I know that might sound kind of convoluted, but let me explain a little bit. I don't think that he's the type of guy that you hire to really be a – star coach for you i think he's going to stabilize things and if that is the goal of the hire i'm all on board with it lovey smith was supposed to be that guy but it just didn't work for a myriad of reasons most notably the recruiting issues he just he didn't seem to put in the same work that other coaches around the league are right now and there's a lot of young coaches that are putting in that work it's difficult to keep up that way when you have a former nfl coach who just he doesn't get the recruiting game that's fine but that means that you need somebody who does. And you can say whatever you want about Brett Bielema, and I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on him. He knows how to recruit. He's a pretty solid recruiter. Great no, but solid nonetheless. They didn't go cheap here, though. They're paying him about $4.5 million per year in terms of the salary. So you can't accuse them of being cheap on the hire. They went, they targeted their guy, and Brett Bielema was their guy. I think he's going to stabilize things. I think he can get you to six and six pretty consistently. I don't know that the ceiling is there with him. I don't know that you're going to ever have a 10 and two type of a season in that division at that university with Bielema as your coach. But if he can get, get you back to respectability, maybe the next coach could be the guy that ultimately breaks through for you.
Hey, he's going to bring over a lot of hog mollies, BK, and that's all that we care about. It is indeed. 65780 <laughs> is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, are we sure Ohio State actually earned their spot in the college football playoff? This this pissed me off so much over the weekend, and not so much Ohio State as Notre Dame did. Like Notre Dame did not Who'd deserve to be in this. I would have I wanted AM. Why? Or uh yeah, was it AM? Yeah, they're fifth, but why'd you want AM in? We've already seen them get demolished by Alabama. They lost 52 to 24. But that was the one loss. Like, they they won, what, seven straight Mm -hmm. SEC games? Like, their one loss against Alabama, which, yeah, was bad, but you lost against a team that nobody was going to win against. Notre Dame, they were undefeated, but they beat Clemson, who didn't have Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, you had the the biggest weapon that you're going to be going up against and you won against them like that was the flaw and then you got embarrassed by Clemson in the championship game like in my eyes I felt like A&M was the better team because yeah they lost Alabama but they still played better against everybody that they fight or they fought against rather than what Notre Dame did see but here's the problem that I had with A&M so they have a really good win against Florida really good win we'll take nothing away from that victory that's a good one There are other wins this year, and this is just kind of the reality of the SEC in 2020. Mississippi State, Arkansas, South Carolina, LSU, who was no good this year, Auburn and Tennessee at the end of the season when they had basically given up on their year. They didn't have a whole lot of quality victories, Texas A&M. Meanwhile, I understand what you're saying with Notre Dame. They didn't have a ton of them, but they did beat Clemson head-to-head. I know it was without Trevor Lawrence, but they beat them nonetheless. They also beat North Carolina earlier this year, 31-17. UNC is a good team, not a great team, but a good team nonetheless. I thought they were definitely deserving of getting into the Final Four. I didn't think Texas A&M was. I've seen them go up against Alabama. They got demolished in that game i would rather see notre dame if there's an argument for anybody i think it's for the likes of cincinnati and coastal carolina who ultimately yeah. were held out those are the two teams that i wish would have gotten more of an opportunity they both had more top 25 victories than some of these other teams that we're talking about but college football has basically told us at this point they are not going to include group of five teams in the college football playoff it's just it's going to be separate and so i don't have to like it but they have more or less made that very known at this point. Do I think that Ohio yeah. State earned their spot? Enough that the teams around them didn't do anything for me to feel like they didn't deserve it. Do they earn it with six wins? Whatever. No, in a typical season. But this year, <laughs> yes. And I think Notre Dame, it was the same thing for me. I really wasn't up in arms about any of these. I think they got it right because they had very flawed choices. And at the end, we all know how this is going to go. It's going to be Alabama versus Clemson once again in the national championship. Right. And that's the part that you just kind of shrug your shoulders with because it doesn't really matter who the other two teams are. Like, let's just go to Alabama and Clemson, let the other two play in a bowl game and move on with this. But I agree. I think Coastal Carolina seriously should have got some consideration for what they did this season also. Totally agree. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, check out the podcast. It is all on 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app, and it is presented to you by I Promise. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. Alex Steen live coming up at 2 o'clock. All right here on 101 ESPN.
Content on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Cricket Wireless. Cricket cares. If you've had COVID-19, antibodies in your plasma may save lives. Visit Mississippi Valley Regional Blood Center at bloodcenter.org for more. Cricket Wireless. Proud supporter of MVRBC. On December 26th, it's an NFL Saturday. And it's only on NFL Network. Play out three, one, two, three. Win. First, Brady and the Bucks. Fire the cannon, Tampa Bay. All day, just like that. Take on Stafford and the Lions. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. And later in primetime. Put your pads down and let's go. Tua and the Dolphins. Battle Josh Jacobs and the Raiders. Jackpot, baby. It's an NFL Saturday. Start Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Only on NFL Network. Listening to this Allstate commercial about savings might be the hardest thing about getting those savings. Save for simply becoming an Allstate customer. Save more for adding DriveWise. And save even more for driving safely. Visit Allstate.com or contact your local agent for a quote today. Allstate. Minimum effort, maximum reward. Not available in every state. New customer savings based on early signing discount. DriveWise is an optional feature. Savings vary based on how you buy. Subject to terms and conditions. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Northbrook, Illinois. You can represent for 101 ESPN wherever you go. Check out our online merch store and order a 101 ESPN t-shirt or hoodie courtesy of MPG Tandem. T-shirts, hoodies. Visit the 101 ESPN online merch store now at 101ESPN.com. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. fantastic to be back with you guys today huge thanks to luke clevenger working the board for us i will be in coming up from two to four on the fast lane hanging out with anthony stalter we are crossing things over now with anthony stalter how you doing man good yeah thanks for filling in so it's going to be it's going to be you from two to four and then alex ferrario is going to do some double dipping as well he's going to be from four to six so we're piecing it together it's the it's the holiday book people are taking off I'm I'm taking off tomorrow. You were off yesterday. It's just it's a hodgepodge until the start of the new year. We'll all get through it together. We'll start anew coming up in 2021. It'll be fantastic. Uh, Stalter, what's coming up today on the fast lane, my man? Well, as you've been promoting, two o'clock, we'll carry this the Alexander Steen press conference live. So we'll hear what Steiner has to say. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of thanking and reflecting. But you and I will certainly dive into that after that. And um, you know. We'll get we'll get into a lot of things. The Steelers, what the hell's wrong with them? What's is it over? What's is the it deal? over for Ben? What's going on here? I we'll we'll talk about okay. it certainly. Expansion too. Expansion could be a big thing in hockey, baseball, maybe even the NBA. And I wonder if expansion is going to be the bailout for sports following the pandemic. So we'll dive into that too. Boy, that definitely has been the bailout for hockey. When you think of what the last three years, $1.25 billion that the NHL owners have been able to put in their pocket when it comes to Vegas and the $500 million, and then the $750 million from Seattle. I mean, that is a bailout of bailouts when it comes to ownership in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it's basically them, the, the, the check that we're about to get in the mail. That's that's what the owners are looking for right now. Where is our check coming from? And the easiest way to do it is say, ah, let's go ahead and add, add a couple more teams out here. And for the NBA, that's probably the easiest league to do so because they've already got 
pretty clearly two two arenas that are ready to go in Seattle and in Vegas. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out moving forward. So for Alex Ferrario, who will be back with us tomorrow from 11 to 2, and also on the fast lane coming up from 4 to 6, and Luke Clevenger, who did a fantastic job today working the board, I'm Brandon Kiley. Back tomorrow at 11, the fast lane coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday.